Everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the Know Your Gear podcast number 256. Uh, the first one was from Luke. It says, everyone talks about tubes. <laughs> no, that's not what he's asking. It says, everyone talks about tubes as they relate to tone of the amp. But what about the output transformer? How important is that to the tone of the amp? Well, I've had some interesting discussions over the years with amp builders. One of my favorite is probably 65 amps. Uh, they're very into the transformers of amps and what they mean. Uh, Eddie Van Halen also very was very focused on transformers. That's why, like, one of the things I thought was interesting in a conversation that happened in the same year, you know what I mean? That's how I always remember this. It was like in the same same period of time, I had two conversations. One was with uh, 65 amps who were saying that basically transformers are uh, very important to an amplifier for all kinds of reasons, uh, which I'll get to in a second. But also, they, that's why they want all their cabinets at 16 ohms, right? So every uh, 65 amp, whether it's 212, 412, or 112, was 16 ohms. And uh, they explained it, you know, in some jargon and stuff. And then uh, at the time, I got to, that was the year I got to be at an Eddie Van Halen meet and greet party for the EVH amps. And at that time, you know, obviously it was not only there, he there talking about them, but there was people from EVH talking about the amps. And they were explaining that Eddie likes all the cabinets to be 16 ohms. The 112, that's how it is to this day. EVH amps are the 112, the 212, and the 412 are all 16 ohms. And uh, it's something to do with it. It, it. it taps like all the resources of the transformer. That's the easiest way to kind of just put that. It's all the wines of the transformer being used. And what I thought was more interesting was the Eddie Van Halen side was not techie in the way they explained it. It was all about just performance, his ear, you know, what he wants. The 65 guys were really techie when the way they explained it. And that was a, kind of the realization that day that I that I had when I heard the two stories in such a similar time that there's two play, two ways to get to the same place, <laughs> right? You can learn everything about a piece of, of, of technology or a product or a guitar and learn it inside out and know it, or you can just use it <laughs> and interact with it. And it was really interesting how two, two different people can get to the same place using two different fundamental concepts of, of working with that piece of gear. Luke, the interesting thing was, then I did a video series. I did two of them. They're, they're on the channel. you got to go way back. And what I did is I thought, well, let's see if, a, if you can actually gig with these small watt amplifiers. So if you guys seen that series, this is an old video on the channel. And it's basically, I had a friend's band come and they performed. And we tried all the little, at the time, which are still pretty relevant now, all of the little amplifier heads. We did the, the Marshall 2061, the Mesa Boogie um, Mark 525. We did the uh, Defender Super Champ. We did the Marshall Class 5 amp. We did the Black Star. I can't remember if it was the 5 watt amp or the 1 watt amp, but we did the Black Star. We did, uh, what else did we do? Did we do the orange? I don't remember if we did the orange. We did a bunch um, of these little amps. Uh, and this is why the story is important, because what we were trying to figure out was, you know, can you gig with these amps in a, in a band practice situation? You know, right? Everybody was using these small watt amps at that time. It was really a big thing. And the question was, could you use them? And, you know, and what feedback would they get? Feedback, not feedback from the amp, but feedback from the musicians. And uh, we did all of them. And here's what was interesting uh, that we didn't know we were going to learn that day. The list of amps and how well they performed was very strange. It didn't make any sense. The wattage meant nothing, absolutely nothing. Some 5-watt amps were louder than 25-watt amps. Some 10-watt amps were louder than 30-watt amps. Some 30-watt amps were not as loud as 5-watt amps, right? It was just all over the place. And we we're like, that's really strange. And then we were like, well, that's, you know, just the type of the company, you know, the quality. But then we 
we kind of dived into a little bit more, and this is what's sad. We didn't make a video because this is kind of too early on in the YouTube world for me to know to make a video about the follow-ups and stuff. But, um, but in fact, right now, Jeff said, great video, that 2061 killed it. Well, this is what's interesting, uh, Jeff, about that 2061. We agreed. It was the loudest amp there at, you know, 20 watts. And it wasn't even really 20. It was like technically 18 watts. And here's what we learned. The output transformers. The more expensive they were, the louder the amp was, regardless of the wattage it was saying or the price point. If the company used a more expensive output transformer in the amp, (laughs) that amp performed, it was louder. It was perceivably more, it came through the mix more, it perceivably was louder to us in the room to the point where like that seemed to be like the holy grail. If you could ever say anything from now on about an amplifier uh, and why, you know, why it's, uh, you know, louder than another amplifier, that quality of the transformer seems to be a huge part of that. So more so than probably the quality of the power tubes or the quality of the watts that are assigned to those, not assigned, but you know what I mean, to those power tubes. So that's why, Luke, I wanted to share that with you when you asked this question. I thought it was great because uh, you're asking more about the tone, but I'm going to tell you that this is the, the actual volume is dictated by that. I would say then, therefore, because of that, maybe tone is implied there. Because obviously, the more the more an amp can breathe, the more it can you know can uh, put out volume effortlessly. Uh, the easier it is to get the desired tone. Everybody kind of knows when you get a sweet spot on your amp, and then you need a little bit louder, and it kind of di- di- dies out on you a little bit. It doesn't get the hold the tone; it starts falling apart. So uh, that's the um, that's what we learned from that. And with my current amp collection uh, of amps, I- I've learned that absolutely to be true that the wattages mean nothing. I have a 20 watt amp that is currently my loudest amp (laughs) by far, by far without even a close second. And the one thing about it is single-handedly. Now, again, this is kind of anecdotal, anecdotal, but it is the most expensive transformer of all the amps. So, cause I, you know, I do a little research when I see that, I go, it's really loud. And I look it up and I go, yeah, that explains why that transformer is very expensive. It's a big expensive hunk iron. So there you go. Luke was the next question. Another Luke, not Luke. The first Luke, who was Luke H. This is Luke Randall. Uh, and he says, uh, hey, Phil, which would you keep? Okay, the Katana or the Catalyst? Oh, okay, so I did the Catalyst video yesterday from Line 6. And uh, and um, that was a really interesting video because I did the video and then I released it to the patrons. And then I just wasn't feeling it. And I don't think they were either. And I kind of came at it a different way because, again, when I do those kind of videos, I really want to um, – I want to convey something, a message of some sort, right? I, wanna, I want it to, to, to resonate with who I think is out there looking at this thing. And um, what's interesting is there's another question, if you don't mind, Luke. I want to grab Super Lead 100's question too. I want to merge your guys' questions into one question. He says, does the Catalyst have the tight low end similar to a tube amp? I couldn't really tell from the video of your... Okay, so tight... I understand what you're saying. <coughs> Excuse me. I, po- I apologize for not hitting the mute button while I coughed. That's my leftover COVID cough that I have. I call it COVID cough because it just randomly happens about once a day. I just get this cough for no reason since I, since I recovered from COVID in January. But um, anyways, uh, back to the uh, Catalyst thing. Uh, the catalyst. Let me let me get to this. A, a really kind of important piece of information on the catalyst. 
Uh, like I said in the video, I had I said, would I sell my katana to get it? And I said, the answer, of course, is yes, because I already sold my katana. I did. I sold the katana, I don't know, a month or two ago. I just wasn't feeling it. And as you guys know, I, I as you guys have been following, it started like this. I got the 100 katana, and I decided I just wanted a smaller one for practice, so I sold that and bought the 50 I had the 50, and I ended up, for some reason, not liking it over time. Not liking it, not because of the quality, not for any other reason, just not loving the sounds, always feeling like I'm sticking pedals in front of it. And at that point, I was like, why don't I just stick pedals in front of my Princeton or something like that? And then I sold it. And then a year or so later, you know, obviously everybody mentions how much they love their katana, and it's kind of out of my mind again. And so I bought another one. And this time around, uh, it was kind of for the channel, you know what I mean, to use for demonstration on videos and stuff. And what ended up happening was, again, the Katana is a great amp. There's nothing about that, uh, about the amplifier that I, I dislike. There, we're not talking about dislike. We've got to talk about passion, loving things. There's just nothing that sparked this emotional response. However, I can tell you, I do have an emotional response to my Line 6 HX Stomp. I feel like when I use that thing in front of an amp, I feel like it's the best inexpensive, and it's not cheap, by the way, inexpensive processor. It's not $1,000 and $2,000. Sounds great. And uh, I like the Spark, as you guys know, when they, they sent the Spark out. I like the Spark more than I liked the Katana, but it's not the same animal. It's a desktop amplifier. But the Spark, the spark is very bassy, like I said in the video, and there's a couple things I don't like about that amp either. The Catalyst is, to me, more like the Spark and less like the Katana. So if you like the Spark, the Catalyst is going to be more in that vein. If you dislike the Spark and you like the Katana, well, then they're different. Uh, but the Catalyst doesn't bring to the table some of the issues I didn't like with Spark, which is it was bassy. It's a small form factor. So, of course, you know, it's a little hard to take and jam with some friends. Um, so the, uh, the, the Catalyst to me, and this is just my opinion, but it's the same on the video, but a little bit more in depth here because you guys are asking I'll tell you this, out of all the digital slash solid state amps I've played in the last few years, which is a lot of them from Orange to Marshall and stuff, I think for me, and again, I'm not saying this is the best, I'm saying for me would be the best, would be the Tone Master by Fender. Of all the amps I played, especially on the channel, but even off the channel, the Fender Tone Master amp was the best amp I played. It just came with a price tag that was tough because, and I said this before, it was a $1,000 amp and I have $1,000 tube amps. I mean, it's not like I'm taking something. I mean, I understand it's a little lighter and that's great, but I'm not, I, the whole point of taking an amp from me somewhere is not worrying about it as much. I mean, I, you know, I'd be upset if anything got stolen, but you know, if somebody walks off with a $1,500 amp, that's, that's devastating. Somebody walks off with a $300 amp, that just really, really sucks, right? Okay, so um, that's what it came to me. So the Catalyst to me was the right fit because the Catalyst is the closest thing I've played to the Tone Master, although I still wouldn't say it's as good as the Tone Master in the ways that I like the Tone Master. And of course, the Tone Master is lighter, which is nice, but it was $400 versus 1000 So that's why I like the tone, uh, the Catalyst. So that's why I preferred it over. Um, and then to Super Lead 100's question, which is, does it have the, the tight low end of a two amp? I don't think – I'm going to put the, the Catalyst up there with my Kemper and the Helix Stomp where I say you can't tell a difference if I record with it, but you can tell a difference when you're playing through it. The Catalyst does not feel like a tube amp to me. It doesn't respond like a tube amp to me. 
the thing, the reason why I did the comparison, that's why that wasn't originally in the original video. That's why I was in a different shirt and had a different guitar and was edited in. I edited that in because of the patrons when I made a comment in the video about that the boutique channel in that amp was kind of to be like a two rock or a tone king amp. And, and then one of my uh, patrons sent me a message and saying, yeah, but you know, how much, cl- how close does it sound to those things? And I go, well, considering I have one, let's get out the two rock and compare it. I will tell you, they didn't feel at all. I would tell, like, if you plug, if I plugged into the, uh, this is honest to God, in that room that day, if I would have plugged into, well, I did. If, if you if you would have plugged me blindfolded into the catalyst in the two rock, I would get two rock every time out of the two two of them, like me playing. Right? If you plugged in and you played to me, I couldn't tell the difference in the room. I couldn't hear a difference. And if anything, the catalyst kept winning in the clarity of it, but. So again, this is back to the thing that we have to get back to. And, and I've told you guys this is why I use a Kemper as well. I don't think a Kemper, and I, you know, obviously sets off the firestorm of internet people. I don't think the Kemper feels like a tube amp to me. When I plug into it, it doesn't feel like any of my tube amps. But when somebody else hears it, I think it sounds exactly like that, like it. And, uh, and that's why I like that uh, my philosophy, or I guess it's my philosophy, where I said uh, gear is not for the audience. It's for you. It's for the creator, right? It's like the, sh- the chef analogy I use all the time, right? Chefs use tools for them to cook with. You can't taste what tools they use when they're cooking. The audience can't hear what gear you're using. They just hear that it's good or bad. It's you to, dis- you to figure out what sounds good or bad to the audience, you know what I mean, to send to them. And uh, and so when you argue, like, I can use a, ca- a Katana, I can use a Catalyst, I can use a Kemper, an Axe FX, I'll just go on and on. <laughs> and the audience can tell, I absolutely agree with you, 100%. And if it's lighter and easier and cheaper, and that makes it easier for you to do the gig or just do whatever you're doing, I think you should choose to do those things because those tools make the sense of the time. However, when it's your moment with you and you really, you're trying to inspire yourself, sometimes, you know, it, it does. It does mean a difference. Uh, for instance, on my Kemper, I play my uh, small box fifty uh, Freeman sound, and I love it, and it sounds great. And then I plug into the real one, and I go, "Yeah, this is a this is a really nice moment between me and the amp. <laughs> like I really feel it." But would I drag that amp to a gig? No, I take the powered katana. I know I would, because that amp's heavy and big and and unruly. So. Uh, but yeah, and of course, and I said this at the end of the video too, and I'll say this again, and I've said this before on the podcast, which is great about having 256 podcasts because, you know, you don't have to worry about like, oh, you're just saying that because this, like you can go through and research where I said other things, they're timestamp, go find it. I've said this before, when it comes to technology amplifiers, the newest technology will always be the best. Not, and I don't want to be guaranteed the best, but I'm saying it will most likely be the best because that's what they keep doing is improving the technology, improving things. They have the hindsight of it. Trust me, the Katana guys had the hindsight of years of Line 6 amps, years of Fender and Viper amps to build their platform, of course, plus besides all the Cube stuff they did. Line 6 has the hindsight of what Katana did, plus, like I said, what their Helix does. That's just how that works. So, but the answer is I like the the, the Catalyst. In fact, I was going to uh, send a message to Line 6 Yamaha today, letting him know that not only do I really like it, um, but what videos I plan to be using it in, in this month and next month, because that's already, it's on the roster to be in some other videos. All right. What else? <laughs> we have uh, Michael Rosa, who's a member, says, how long did you play guitar before you became confident in your playing? Michael, unfortunately, I started playing guitar at like 16, 
which means I was confident like three lessons after. <laughs> I was too stupid not to know any better. I probably, and I can't tell you for sure, but here's what I do know. I started playing guitar at 16. Maybe it would have been late 15, you know, age 15, early 16. It depends. I, I, I think it's, I think, because my birthday is over the summer. So I think I recall playing guitar and then have it. So I guess it was 15 because I was playing guitar and then that summer I had a 16th birthday. That would make sense. So I started playing guitar at 15. What I can tell you is before I was 17, I was in a band playing in front of people with no business to do that because you just did that back then. Somebody and, and, and how it worked, <laughs> how it worked for a lot of us watching is uh, somebody's like, oh, you play an instrument. If you're if you're my age, you can understand it's different ages bring different things, and those age blocks are only five year gaps. So you can be five years older and five years younger, and the world's a different world for you. In my world, rap music had taken over huge, like it was huge. Okay, uh, I've said this before. I started high school with like Motley Crue's "Doctor Feelgood" was the number one album, and before I even left high school, Nirvana and grunge had been dominated in the rock genre, you know, right? But the in the in the music aspect. Rap and pop music had dominated massively. So um, in my school, which was pretty big, I think I, – I feel bad I don't know the number. It could be 15 – please forgive me if I don't know the exact number. I know it's probably either – I went to high school and there was either 1,500 kids or 3,000 kids. I know it was like 1,500 kids. It could have been 3,000, but let's say 1,500 kids. In a school of 1,500 kids in my high school, uh, there was probably 11 guitar players rounding up <laughs> total. I mean, just people weren't playing rock music at that time. So the reason I say that is, uh, so if you're if you're a musician, you got you know sought out fast. Somebody's like, you play guitar, you play bass, you play anything. We need to start a band. And so before I would been playing guitar for probably a good year, I was in a band and performing in front of people badly. By the way, thank God they don't have cell phones back then and stuff to take the footage would be just horrible. <laughs> Uh, like it would be me staring at the other guy, looking at the chord changes and then showing him like this. And he'd be like, and I'd be like, Oh, okay. And then we'd play that. And then he'd like nod at me. And then I would do my thing. And right. <laughs> with our, with our, and then we would do that thing that you would do. That's horrible where you would probably learn. We learned like two cover songs and maybe two original songs, but then play for three hours. And the rest of it would just be like, what do you know? And they're like, I know this riff. And then you'd play that until you couldn't play it anymore. And then you'd stop. And go, uh, <laughs> and play the other thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. There you go. So, uh, so to answer your question, uh, <laughs> when 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 did I feel confident enough to start playing? It was it, I was too young to 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 know any better. So I was confident before I was able by all means. And then that's also why I switched to bass at some point because you know you switch the bass. All the good bands needed bass players and not guitar players. In fact, I think I've told this story before, but I'll tell it. It's five seconds and fast. I was in a battle of the bands thing, and I played uh, – and our band our band did really well. We made it to the semifinals, right? Uh, and the band that beat us that night, <laughs> instead of having that mo- attitude of like, they sucked, I can't believe I, – I was enamored by them. I just thought they were the greatest band ever. And I was like, of course they won. <laughs> they were a new they were the newer sound and i just really liked it and then i couldn't tell you again it's time goes by if it was a week or a month but what happened was i went into a record a music store sorry music store and there was an ad and it was that band needed a bass player and i was like okay so i literally uh 
uh, I literally went and sold my guitar and amp and bought a bass. I didn't have a bass amp. I had a small PA, and I went to a band practice or you know rehe- not rehearsal, sorry auditions. I auditioned with my bass and a small PA, and they and I joined the band. They were like, "You're in." It's like, "Woohoo!" And I go, "I'm a bass player now." And that's how I become a bass player. <laughs> the way most people become bass players. <laughs> uh, what's my jo- what's the joke? Why does every bass bass player miss their second lesson? Because they're on their way to their first gig. There, a little bass humor for the bass players. Guitar players always talk about how they suck, but they're always working. Um, <laughs> all right. We need another question. Let's go to the next one, which is going to be Andy, who's a member who says, Phil, are you planning on acquiring a GNL Doheny anytime in the foreseeable future? I wanted a Doheny, which is their jazz master style guitar. I wanted one so bad. It was, you know, as you guys know, I still have my GNL ASAT. I love it, it's a work of art. Um, the, uh, Doheny thing got filled when I got, oh, do I have it? Oh, it's right here. It's just off. I can tilt a little bit. This thing, this is my Valiant Jupiter. I, I absolutely love that. And so the problem is the Doheny, the only advantage the Doheny would have is it has a tremolo and this doesn't, which I'm okay with either way. Uh, so in other words, that, that has been filled. That position has been filled. Unfortunately, uh, Andy, I don't plan to fill that position anytime soon. I would really love though, if I could... If I could, you know, if I had magical powers to make companies send products to the channel so we could put videos out, one of the videos I would desperately love to make from GNL is the Doheny Tribute. I really think that's a great guitar, and it's like six ninety nine. It's made in Indonesia. It looks like a really quality guitar. I'd love to have one and just do a video of it, you know, send it back to them, whatever. But they're, um, I, I don't know. That, like I said, we've talked about this GNL. I need to reach out to them again and see what happens. See what happens. Um. Hold on. This one was from Tractor Monkey. <laughs> I think the whole name is Tractor Monkey with GL. Tractor Monkey says, I hear Les Paul's 60s necks are thinner than 50s. Does the 60s neck feel like a fender neck? No. Uh, the 60s neck is not only thinner than the 50s neck, but the bigger difference between them is not the thickness, it's the shape. The 50s neck is more of a C shape to me. To me, a 50s uh, Gibson neck, which is there's so many variations of, is insane. But a 50s, uh, for the most part, a 50s uh, uh, Gibson neck will feel like a Fender chunky 50 style Strat neck in that it's U shaped or sorry C shaped and a little chunky. Uh, and again, I'm trying to explain to someone who obviously doesn't have reference to that. Where to me, the 60s neck is going to be super thin but also flat, uh, and and so it won't have that that big you know curve right here it'll be kind of flattened out for your thumb to go behind um some players love that some players hate that um so uh, i think i when i think of modern playing guitars like ibanez's and uh you know some of the some of the charvels um definitely some of the newer sls uh uh Schecters, maybe even the Kiesels, a lot of the new modern shredder style guitars always feel reminiscent to me what the 60s neck is on the Gibson. It's like that was probably the, the going template to make it thin and flat. And then, of course, Ibanez and companies like that, let's make it thinner. <laughs> let's make it even thinner. <laughs> so um, there you go. That's why you kind of have to put your hands on them. Like I said, even in my videos where I'm giving you tech, you know, the carves and the thicknesses and stuff, it's just at that point, you, you know, it's just an educated guess. So personally, if it helps, I don't know why, but I feel like Epiphone is another thing where Epiphone kills. I think their neck carves and neck shapes are way better than Gibson. 
Um, one thing I, that they don't seem to do a lot of is they don't seem to copy the Gibson necks as much. They seem to do their own kind of necks, in my opinion, and they're better. So that's what I would check out. Unless you're looking for something collectible. Like I said, I, I, everybody's going to have a different opinion on this, and I appreciate opinions. That's why I like to give you mine as well, but I appreciate others as well. Uh, Gibsons, to me, are about collecting. I buy Gibsons because they're collectible, and they say, and if I'm going to buy a guitar that is going to be worth more than what I paid for it versus buy a guitar that I can lose money on one day, I'll, I'll do that if, I'm not, if it's not my main guitar or something. So I, I tend to buy Gibsons over Epiphones, but only for the purpose of the fact that a Gibson goes up in value, where the Epiphones... They go up in value. Everything goes up in value because of inflation. You know what I mean? As the new prices go up, the used prices come up, but not in the same way Gibsons do. So it's just about getting a return on your investment. And then somebody, that ties into a question, somebody, and I don't have the question, but I remember seeing it. Somebody was asking me about getting a Strat, and they were talking about Strat-style guitars like Sires and all that stuff. And they basically, I thought I grabbed it and copy-pasted it. Let's see. I didn't, apparently. I apologize. Uh, oh, I did. It came from Jay Carr. Jay Carr says, hey, Phil, I really want a Strat-type uh, guitar, but the S7, which is the Sire 7, the Made in Mexico, U- uh, USA Silver Sky, or the SE, is there a good reason besides resale value to buy one of the U- – no. Uh, look, again, it's just my opinion. I buy uh, USA-made Fenders, USA-made Gibsons, and guitars like that for literally the – uh, collectability value of it at that point. That's the main reason I'm buying those guitars. Uh, as someone who worked on so many guitars for so long, when somebody argues, you know, because it, it's an out there, because it's constantly, no matter what you do, there's going to be a point to argue. Somebody's going to argue like, oh man, I don't care what you say, Phil, my American Strat is so much better than my Mexican Strat. I'm not disagreeing with those statements. I don't disagree with anyone says that I think the Gibson's better than the Epiphone or the, uh, the Fender American is better than the Squire or whatever. They are a little bit, a little bit. And sometimes not at all. But in most cases, I would say 9 out of 10, I'd say they are better. But it's a little bit. And again, I think there was a time where we used to have to actually think like that. Like you have to buy these expensive guitars to get quality. I mean, that Ert guitar I reviewed a couple weeks ago, it was disgustingly good. And I mean that. It was disgustingly good. The frets, the way they did the frets, the same way that Yamaha did them. Same way that the – think of this. Where's my Framus? There it is. This Framus guitar behind me, which was insane, uh, a, a guitar, It's uh, that has the same fret work. I was in – when I did the demonstration on the uh, Yamaha guitar – this guitar. I'm pointing the Yamaha guitar behind me. Uh, in that video, you'll see where I used a tool and I was showing you guys how they do their fretwork. Um, I learned uh, that. I'd never seen that before until I was in the Framus factory in Germany and Framus walked me through how they were doing their frets. And then you see there's a, vo- there's a video out there of me doing some frets too and learning it. And that's when I saw them do it. i never seen anybody do it that way before. And then now I see it on the Yamaha guys and I see it on the Ert guys. But I can tell you right now, you know, whether whatever you think about import guitars, that Ert guitars frets was just way too good, <laughs> way too good. I would I would uh, I would imagine uh, it's going to be tr- tricky to keep that quality up at those price points for very long um, once they start selling. Right now, I think they're just doing it because they, they know, you know, somebody like me will say something like that and you guys will buy them. But over time, when they start having to move them faster and faster, it's going to be hard to hit that quality line. As the Framus guys once said. Those are fast guitars. Ours are slow guitars. In other words, we can take time and make them perfect. Eventually, if they make a lot of guitars, they can't. They can't make them perfect. They gotta move them too fast. So, 
Uh, Unfreaking Believable says, my frame is guitar, refuses to have fret sprout. Absolutely. There is, I've never seen anything like that. I've, I've said this before. I've been asked a thousand times on the show, walk into an In-N-Out burger. <laughs> What's the best guitars you've ever seen? I will tell you this, the same thing. The best guitars I've ever seen is the same as the best factory I've ever seen. It's the Framus one. It's a next level stuff. However, that doesn't mean it's the best guitar. I'm just talking about quality. Because sometimes, unfortunately, quality doesn't equate to the mojo aspect, the desire aspect. But man, good stuff. Um, I thought there was another one. <sighs> I thought... Oh, uh, this one was from Adrian, and this is the last early riser one. It says, Phil, apparently the world record for playing guitar pedal simultaneously has recently been broken and stands at 145. How about a spectacular KYG world record attempt? Uh, imagine the noise. I, I, I saw that, and I thought I'd grab it because when it was one of the first ones. And hold on a second. As I go off key, I'm looking. I got somewhere. Okay, so I have this. Guinness Book of World Record thing. <laughs> this uh, official, a participant. <laughs> I have a couple of these. Isn't it funny? <laughs> there, it's it's weird. I'm I'm happy to have them, but the here's what it says. It says uh, that the the uh, it says the um, world record for the largest pedal board that was that was used. I don't know if they were all simultaneous. Is that what it is? Oh, th- so they did it simultaneously. What's the point of that? They could have done it simultaneously. I don't know if they did it simultaneously where they turned them all on. It was 319 pedals. Uh, and it was Sweetwater that did that. So I wonder if the difference between the 145 and the 319 is they turned them all on simultaneously. These were all working and they used every single one of them. I just don't know if they turned them all at once. They probably did. So uh, to answer your question, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I got a participant thing in this. I got two of these. I got one from Sweetwater. Well, this came from you know Guinness, but... Um, but uh, for participating in that, which I did very little to nothing in that event, <laughs> but I appreciate the they were kind enough. Natalie at Sweetwater was kind enough to make sure I got one of those participate participation. It's like I got a participation trophy. Like you were there, you saw something. <laughs> uh, but I also got one for the world record, the largest uh, band rock band playing music, and because uh, it was part of that. And what's funny was that that was supposed to be broken the following year, but the following year was COVID. So they haven't broke it yet. So I still got that. I got that. Whatever, whatever else goes wrong or right today, I got that. I'm, I participated in world records, whatever that means. I'm not even doing it right. That's the worst part. Um, I have the etiquette, the world record etiquette. I don't know if you guys know if you're part of a world record in any way. Um, there's world record etiquette, and I'm already violating it right now. I'm not allowed to say world record. You're only allowed to say Guinness world records. Right. You have to say like there's terminology that they send you. And it's like you must say like you can't say like I was part of a world record. You got to say I was part of the Guinness Book of World Records event. Like there's all this like etiquette that you're supposed to do that I've forgot. But when I did talk about this stuff in a video, I did say it all correctly because I had to read all their stuff. So if you ever decide to get a world record or be part of one, just keep in mind there's rules and how you got to talk and what you can print and what you can say and how you can say it. Uh Okay. <laughs> Just enjoying the comments. Okay, let's grab a, a comment towards me. 
uh, not towards me, but, you know, I guess at me. Um. Oh, Smiley420 says, hey, Phil, what's your email so we can do a shirt swap? I thought I'd grab that one because I'm doing a shirt swap today. Today's shirt swap is Grumpy Mike Guitar, which now I'm going to say it right for the first time because I'm reading it. Right. Look, it's even got his... Look at his face on there. He's got a little YouTube medallion. I should just look at the shirt right there. A little YouTube medallion. If you guys don't know Grumpy Mike Guitar's channel, um, Glenn sent me a, a uh, an orange amp shirt as well, and uh, I'll have to wear that. Um, when I got it, I was like, is this – I didn't know it was from Glenn. I was like, oh, is this from Orange Amps? Why would they send me a shirt? <laughs> and, uh, and then Glenn, uh, I think Grumpy Mike, I think I – I don't think you had a little card in your envelope, but Glenn did, and I put it on my wife's desk to make you a shirt and send it to you, uh, Glenn. So look for that. I will tell you this. It's taking a little time. It's not her fault. It's my fault. I have a new shirt that I want, and it's for me kind of thing. It's like, you know, I want it for me. And so she said, okay, well, when I'm finished it, I'll send it to these guys. So you guys, same with Grumpy Mike, uh, you'll get this. You'll get the shirt that I want <laughs> that I asked her to make for me. She's going to make you one of those. I don't know if it's cool, but I want one. <laughs> I do that uh, to my wife all the time. I go, hey, here's a shirt I want. And uh, I just go, and she makes it, which is nice. And then I and then I never let her sell it or whatever. It's dumb. I should do that. It's a marketing 101, but I never do it. Okay, let's, uh, let's hit the next question. Actually, I want to hit this. Uh, first thing I uh, just want to say is Litve. Hey, Litve. Litve says, it's been a long time, and I'm finally in the time zone I can draw, I can drop in. Thanks, Litve. Thank you so much, man, for that super huge super chat and for being back, man. I'm, I'm glad you're back. Uh, Vimp69 says, if I'm only going to get one acoustic, okay, just one acoustic in this ashtray, and this remote control. Anyways, uh, it says, what are your thoughts on the new PRS SE versus other inexpensive models? They are a different animal. I really, really love the PRS uh, SE, like the Angelus and stuff. I like those guitars. I always have. That being said, uh, when I did that interview with them this week, if you read the comments, some people are like, I love it. Some people are like, I hate them. They're the most horrible sounding acoustics ever. Um, like Breedlove to me, they have a mid range. They have a clarity that I absolutely love. There's something about the PRS acoustic that I love, but I also have a Martin that I absolutely love. And I have a Taylor that I absolutely love. There's things just like, uh, I don't have, you know, obviously I don't collect acoustics, not anywhere in the range of electrics because the kind of acoustics to me, it's about, I want this sound like the Martin to me is just an uh, amazing sound, right? It's just, it's full it's warm. <laughs> it's buttery. I don't, I know I'm using, I'm just going to keep going. It's chocolatey. It's just amazing. It's a strum accord and it's every amazing song you've ever heard. Uh, it's just there. And the Taylor to me is modern. It's the modern uh, acoustic sound. There's some things I like about it, the clarity to it, the, uh, the way that chimes, the little ringingness to it that I like. Um, the PRS is a different animal. It's like mid range. And there's something about it. When I strum chords on the PRS, it's just, oh, it just sounds so good. And, uh, I just enjoy them so much for those reasons. Those would be the ones I like the most. Um, I used to have breed loves. If you guys remember on the channel way back, I used to love my breed loves, but I, the breed, breed loves went away for the PRS Angeles, which is what I ended up doing. Um, so Vimps to answer your question, if you don't have one, uh, inexpensive one, I, I would tell most people, if you can only have one acoustic and you want an expensive, I would definitely, acoustics are not like electrics. 
especially inexpensive ones where you can go try them in store still. You know what I mean? You walk in a good store, even a guitar center, you can walk in, play a Yamaha, play some of the laminate Martins and stuff, you know, play some of those. I think you'll really, really like them. Um, I kind of feel like uh, you should really play the PRS guitar, not only to see if you like it, but also I think like, I think most players will kind of decide this too. It's something unique. (laughs) So, um, you know what I mean? It's just something different. I, like I said, I really like it. Um, yeah, so somebody's saying, uh, From Seed is saying, uh, to Shatter, saying, Taylor and Bree Love for a mid-range. I agree. They got the mids. Um, I like, whenever we talk about one acoustic, I, I think it's about just getting a good dreadnought. You know, get, just get a good acoustic. You can get an orange wood. You can get um, Yamaha is another one I like. Uh, I'm trying to think of another one I like. Uh, obviously, oh, Arts and Luthery or Siegel. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the Godin brands. God, really good stuff. Made in Canada, and the prices are just really good. Um. Vim says, do that mean I need to buy three acoustic guitars? No. I think you need one. <laughs> but you you know what it is? Um, go to a store, try acoustics, and don't look at prices. Not something I would ever recommend to electric guitar players, right? Uh, acoustics are just about strumming them. And then here's – and playing them. And here's why I say don't look at prices. Go into an, a, a store, okay? Uh, try some acoustics, okay? And then once you find one you like, it's an anatomy thing. It's not like an electric guitar. It's a little different, Okay? Which means now you can go, okay, well, this guitar is out of my price range, but what is it? Oh, it's a solid top, and it's this kind of wood, and it's this. Well, now find a brand that has those specs in your price range. Give that a try, like I said. Now you know what you like. There are certain things I like. Um, For instance, uh, my Taylor and my Martin have no finish on them to speak of, right? And they're very loud. My PRS has a clear coat finish is polyurethane so it's it dampens the sound a lot chokes it down and that's what i like <laughs> i like i like that sound sometimes too casey says uh, alvarez yuri yeah yuri is expensive though but yeah great guitars made in japan fantastic <laughs> look at all the <laughs> try this one try this one that's what it said you can go crazy with these things that i could easily own as many acoustics as i do electrics but I found that when I tried to buy a lot of acoustics, uh, which I've done, and once you get a collection of them, you find it's just like electrics. You just end up playing two or three of them all the time, and then a lot of them end up becoming wall art and then just becoming interchanged here and there. And acoustics are a little different, for unless you really like looking at acoustics. Okay. Um, whoops. We'll be right back. Ever wonder how your favorite entertainers and athletes made it from childhood to the spotlight? Join me, Nashville-based entertainment reporter Jennifer Vickery-Smith, as I chat with moms of entertainers and entertaining moms on my hit podcast, Got It From My Mama. You'll hear delightful conversations with moms of everyone from the Jonas Brothers, Luke Bryan, Kelsey Ballerini, Steph Curry, Travis Kelsey, and so many more, sharing the journey from a perspective only a mama can share. New episodes weekly as we share the best conversations of family, faith, and fame on the Got It From My Mama podcast. 
Turf Shifter. I like that. It says, hey, Phil, I just got a RevStar Standard Black with P90. Sounds and looks amazing. Tone Pot is far looser than volume. Was this a case with yours? Um, no, they were about the same, but it's possible that they're using like a zero friction potentiometer in your, in your tone pot. Um, uh, I didn't get the P90 one. I got the humbucker one. I can't imagine it's different. Uh, the, well, this is easy. This is what I don't know. Do you have a push pull in your P90 guitar? If you have the push pull pot, like I have, I would imagine that's why it feels looser to you because push pull pots, I did a video somewhere out there is about when I talk about push pull pots and the quality, no one buys the quality push pull pots. Nobody. I buy them. I'm, I'm putting, I'm putting one in a guitar right now as we speak. And, uh, it's double the price of what the ones everybody else buys. And so no manufacturer is going to buy them. Even guitars that are three, $4,000 don't have them at all. Um, the, the ones that I like, um, but there's nothing wrong with the cheaper ones. They just, you know, like you said, they just feel a little loose. And then also they kind of feel wobbly because when you, you know, just when you pop it up, the shaft kind of wiggles in there and stuff. Just, so I would say nothing sounds weird to me, only weird to me. If you don't have the push pull, then that could be like, they use a zero friction or something, but I bet you it's the push pull and that's what's causing it. Casey says, my dream guitar is a Gibson Les Paul Jr. But I'm curious if it's a thousand dollars better quality than a Billy Joel Armstrong Jr. Epiphone. Uh, I had Gibson's special tribute and it wasn't as good. Well, again, this is tough because, you know, I could say the model is better and then you could get one specifically that's not as good. So it's hard to specifically say you're going to get lucky, especially Gibson where it's like, you know, fleets of fancy of like, will it be good or will it be bad? I feel like every time I buy a Gibson, you just, you're, you might as well be at the casino. Gibson should be sold in casinos. <laughs> that's, that should be the new rules. They just, you go to a casino and you're like, okay. I'm going to put all my money on. I hope it works and sounds good. <laughs> There's no paint chips. Woohoo! I did it. <laughs> and then when you get a good Gibson, run, get out of there before you lose it. Uh, that's exactly how I feel about Gibsons and buying them. And so, you know, I actually, I hate to say this, forever, ever and ever and ever and ever, so pre-2019, um, up until 2019, I would always tell people you could always rely on the quality of Fender for as a whole, but I felt like Fender is now just as dodgy as Gibson when it comes to admit. They're the two worst. They're the worst. And I, you know, you could say it's the pandemic and it's the faster guitar processing is all the stuff. It could say all the stuff. It could be, uh, again, there's a thousand reasons uh, why it could be happening that way. But, and I'm, and I, so, you know, these are from my personal purchase experiences of these guitars. It's just been not so awesome, which is probably why both those companies wouldn't touch this channel with a 10 foot pole because of those kind of comments that I make. They just hate it. I'm sure. But I love both those companies for their guitars and I want them to do well and I'm still going to buy their stuff. I just hate the feeling of like, I'm, like I said, I'm at the casino. Hope this works. I'm buying a Strat online. Hope to God it doesn't cut my hand when I get the frets or has some weird thing wrong with it. Um, so to answer your question, uh, is it a thousand dollars better in quality? Can I, I'm going to do this if you don't mind again, not specifically individual models, just as a series, I'm going to stick with my original answer, which is you buy a Gibson for $1,000 more because it will continue to grow and hold value. And if that's something that matters to you, then it matters to you. Again, this isn't about getting rich off guitars. <laughs> it's about the fact that you can buy a guitar, play it for years, and then at the worst case scenario, walk away free. It's like you get to play guitar free for a couple years. It's a very nice feeling. It's a collector's piece. That's how I look at that. 
So I will tell you this, um, Casey, if, and this is for any brand, has nothing to do with Epiphone Gibson. If you have some internal strong desire to own the real thing, whatever the hell that means to all of us that we all say, we all say it, we all, then I would caution you to finally just do that purchase because every purchase will just be this long, drawn out cash loss till you get to the end, which is buy what you want. And then I would tell people to save up, buy what you want, try to find a deal on it, try to find a good one, make a purchase once, call it a day. So I don't know. That's that's a couple of pieces of information. And then I'm sure everybody else has some couple of thoughts too. Keep in mind, these are <laughs> there's a lot of guitar players hanging out here with a lot of different ideas on what to do. Mr. Thomas uh, says, how's the quality on PRS imports? I've, I've had great luck with them, obviously not just on the channel, but it, personally, uh, consistently for a long time. Um, I, of course, I've talked about this. I, I announced it, and PRS had no problem with me announcing this, by the way. During the middle of the pandemic, when everything was locked down, PRS forego their quality assurance on the imports. In other words, imports were done in court, Cortec sent to Maryland where normally they go through a whole rigorous kind of like checking process. Instead, they sent them straight to the dealers and then gave the dealers a discount to do the process. So I always say that, like, you know, who knows if that ever got done, if the dealers just pocketed the money and just like, here's your SE, have good luck, <laughs> right? Or if they actually took the time to do that. I don't know. I just don't know. I've heard no stories either way. But that being said, there always could be that exception. But as a whole, I've had great luck. Like I said, Schechter is a good company I've had a lot of great luck with. Could you find somebody who's had a bad luck? Absolutely. But when I could tell you, like, when you go online, you look at like Sweetwater Guitar Center, and you look at the reviews, a lot of times what I personally experience lines up with a lot of the reviews, you know, right? 300 reviews, 250 or five stars, 25 or four stars, three or, you know, one star, things like that seem to be normal. So it seems to be pretty good. Keep in mind, when I talk about PRS imports, and this is important for me, it uh, has nothing to do with Paul Reed Smith. Has nothing to do with those, that company or those guitars. PRS imports are made by Cortec. Before that, they were made in Korea by World Manufacturing. Both those factories make crap tons of guitars and make great guitars. So I trust those two factories. Why PRS goes there? They go to brand name, brand name, quality factories. Those are quality factories who are, by definition, charging a lot more. They could go anywhere else and get cheaper guitars made. The cheaper meaning they can get their price down. But they're, they're hoping, they're banking on the experience of those factories to put out good stuff. I have a PRS SE uh, Custom 24 Semi Hollow and it's freaking fantastic. In fact, I just had a horrible experience with it, which is horrible. I mean, I did it. I changed out the pickup frames to ivory ones. I didn't like the, the cream ones. And while I go, oh, well, I'm doing that, I might as well get rid of these pickups and put some good pickups in it. And I put some expensive pickups in it that I had laying around. I was like, all right, and I hate it. So I got to take it apart. I haven't done it yet. I don't have time. I got to take it apart and put the original pickups back in. I have to say the original pickups are just fantastic. I was shocked how much I liked them. I really shocked when I took them out and put the more expensive pickups in to see it like thinned out and just did not have the, the sound anymore. So good. Save me some money. Um, Grumpy Mike Guitar. I've heard of that channel somewhere. Since <laughs> hey. Uh, have you heard any news from your guy, uh, at Valiant? So he's talking about Igor in Ukraine. I have, I was talking to him back and forth today. Okay. Back and forth. Um, I'm going to share with you. Uh, thank you, Mike, for, for bringing this up. Let me, let me do this. 
I'll share some stuff with you guys. I'm going to be very uh, ca uh, careful what I share because some of the stuff I don't, it's not time to be out yet. Let me share this with you. This is their website. So if you go to Valiant Guitars, first of all, if you guys don't know who we're talking about, Valiant Guitars are a guitar company in Ukraine. Uh, they sent a guitar to Dovi Doss. They made him a custom guitar. They sent me that beautiful Jupiter guitar. They sent one to Agifish. Uh, I think uh, Hennings got one, but I don't think he ever did the video because they got, you know, obviously attacked by Russia um, before he get it out. Um, and there might be some other channels out there that got a guitar sent to them. And uh, fantastic quality guitars. I, I love mine. I really do. Okay. And um, in fact, I, there's so much, there's so many layers to this, this story. That's why I said I got to be not cryptic. I just want to be uh, restricted in what I talk about when I talk about this today with this company, because I, you know, there's things that, that are important to talk about. So first thing I want to tell you is if you go to their website, they are back in their shop. Okay. There was scary times where he had to go get his wife. His wife and him were separated. It took three days to get, to go 300 miles to get his wife because of curfews and roadblocks and stuff. Um, They've been dealing with all kinds of stuff, as you can imagine, you know, and, uh, but he is safe. Okay. And believe it or not, they're trying to keep things going. They're trying to keep things going, but more importantly, they're trying to raise some money, uh, not for them. They're you're right here. They're basically proceeds from the raffle will be donated, uh, from the money to medicines, fuel and equipment for the needs of the Ukrainian army. <clears throat> and humanitarian aid. Uh, what this is, if you go to his website, I'm just telling you this. And again, this is important for me to explain. I really like Igor. We've spent many times, uh, many hours, many times for many hours on Zoom calls. We've become friends and we were, we were working on a project up until this event happened, a big project that he's actually still trying to execute on and do, which I think is going to happen, which is crazy um, because they are making guitars. They're just, like I said, they're they're dealing with a lot of stuff, as you can imagine. But here's the important part. They're doing this thing where you you just gonna, you can decide on your own if you want to do this. But you can uh, pay these. These are for tickets. They're basically saying, hey, put it, give us 100 bucks. We'll donate 100% of it to, to, the, to the Ukrainian efforts. And you get a gift. I don't know what the gift is. But also you get entered in to win whatever guitars you pick. And he has those guitars there. So I'm just letting you know, if you go to Valiant Guitars, you can decide on this. Again, this is important that I want you to understand. Um, uh, I have something that I will be announcing tomorrow to the patrons. You guys may see it on Sunday or Monday when it comes to Valiant Guitars, including we're still working. We were working on a limited edition run of something very cool and something very unique. And uh, he's actually still trying to, to do it. The difference now is uh, what I would make on it will be 100% donated to the to to these uh, to these charities. So again, I know I'm kind of being a cryptic because I don't want to talk about too much and then it not happen. And I don't want to, uh, uh, I don't want to jinx it. Okay. Um, but fantastic instruments. Fantastic. So it's funny story happened with Valiant Guitars. Um, I, uh, I had a, a viewer get one. One of you guys, obviously a lot of you guys bought one, but one of them bought one in long story short, I ended up working on it. And, um, <laughs> it just so happened to work out that one of my friends had had popped over, saw it and was trying to, he was trying to buy it off because <laughs> he wanted it so bad. And I had never seen any reaction like that. That's how much he liked it. So. Um, 
Okay. Uh, and since we're talking about this, uh, CS says, hey, Phil, will you open more spots on the, uh, to purchase the top patron packages? Um, yeah, I mean, the answer is, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know is what I really meant to say. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't looked at it in a couple of days. Uh, I will look at it. There should be lots of spots in other categories. I just try to make sure. I got to make sure that we're all on the same page, my wife and I and everybody, that we can take care of stuff when when we open that stuff up for that. Ninja Warrior says, hey, Phil, long uh, time, weekly listener and subscriber. Thanks for the... Uh, Oh, thanks for cultivating my favorite internet community and have a beer on me. I will. Thank you. <laughs> I will decide, I will do that because you said I wasn't going to do it at all before. And now uh, <laughs> I will. Jeff Harper says, hey, Phil, I'm looking at amps to upgrade to. My choices are the 65 Deluxe Reverb Tone Master. Okay. Blues Junior. There was no comma. So it's the 65 Deluxe Reverb Tone Master. Okay. That's one amp. Blues Junior or Hot Rod Deluxe. Being loud is not an issue for me, and I'll be playing at home. Uh, that's a tough one for me. I really like the Tone Master, but I wouldn't. I, I'll tell you what I would pick in that order. I would pick the Blues Deluxe and then the uh, Blues Junior and then the Tone Master. By the way, we talked about the prices on those things going skyrocketing. If you go on Reverb or look, check your local Craigslist, that is not represented in the resale value. The Howard Deluxe might be going for a thousand bucks, but I can find it in a second. It feel like for five hundred bucks. That's half, which five hundred would be a lot for used, but not now. So Blues Juniors actually were going more. I could find Blues Juniors going for more used than Hot Rods, probably because people need less volume. But Jeff said he doesn't need the volume, so or doesn't care about volume. So Hot Rod Deluxe is a great amp, man. It's a beautiful tone, beautiful pedal platform. I'd pick it over the Tone Master if it was me. Because, like I said, the Tone Master does have its shortcomings. It's just like I said, that's the problem I have with it being $1,000. It's a beautiful amplifier, like I said. I think it's the best of all the digital amplifiers on the market for my needs. However, at its price point, to have any shortcomings sucks. Where the Line 6 and the Katana and all the stuff, the things I don't like about those things, well, they're also very affordable, comparatively speaking. So that's why I don't own the the, the, uh, Tone Master. Like I said, I bought mine for 7 and change. And I didn't end up keeping it for that reason. It was just a lot of money for something that I thought wasn't wasn't eight hundred dollars cool. It just isn't. It's it either needs more features, needs more things, or needs the price come down. Or uh, like I said, I don't know. I really want to try their uh, their del- not the deluxe reverb. What's the other one? Super reverb. I heard that one's good with the four tens. Derek says, happy Friday. Is it all right to leave power running on my pedal board for hours, eight plus at a time? Or should I diligently turn it off when not in use? Thanks for the channel, Phil. Um, You are a Sherpa on my guitar journey. Okay, a couple things about your pedal board. First, I don't know what power supply you're running. So uh, they they can get warm. And if it's a cheaper power supply, it could get dangerous because sometimes they're not even UL rated. (laughs) It's a dodgy industry, man. I don't know if I trust a lot of stuff. Um, I, I mean, if you have a one spot, I trust one spots. Um, it, it, you know, if you have voodoo labs, uh, ch- chokes, chocks, that's what I use. The C I C I O K S thing, whatever chucks, chucks, they're fantastic too. Um, you may want to leave that on, but here's, here's what I will tell you. Um, you're saying power, the pedal board is on, maybe not the pedals, but one thing about pedals you have to worry about is the new ones that have led lights are fine. Cause those led lights will last, you know, forever, but the old ones, 
if you have a leave a light on those light bulbs on those older pedals, those bulbs will burn up and good luck. That's a pain in the ass finding that bulb, putting it in nowadays. It's, I mean, getting to it sometimes is a pain in the ass. So we just, it's not worth the time is what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying it's difficult. Cause somebody's going to go, I don't know, Phil, it's not that hard. I didn't say it's hard, right? Difficult is to me is usually not about how hard something is. It's how long it takes. To me, if it takes 50 minutes to do something, that doesn't take a whole lot of effort to do sucks because that's 50 minutes gone, a whole hour. So I would turn your power supply off. What I do is I try to remember to turn my power supply off. That's what I'll tell you. Just do it when you can think of it. I always turn my power supply off whenever I think of it. Sometimes I'll come back and I'll go like a day or two later and it's still on and I go, and that happened. <laughs> but I consciously try to do it. What I do, and I think a lot of players will do, if you have a room, especially any kind of designated room or designated corner, I try to put uh, everything on something where I can mass turn it off. You know, hit one switch and kill everything. Um, I purposely in this room have all the amps on one power switch um, so I turn them off. And then everything else like lights and, and mixers and all that stuff here, I, it's all off, turn it off. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, but yeah. Plus, keep this in mind. I mean, you know, the, you know, you never know when a company's going to do a recall and tell you, hey, like, hey, this thing's burning houses down. So keep that in mind too. If you could only have, this is from Rich, if you could only have one, one to rule them all, if you could only be Jet Li, the one, uh, would you go with a combo or head and cab and why? Well, that answer is going to be broken down into two parts. One, because it'd be like, well, let's just go something easy. If I could only keep one amp that I currently have, it would be the co a combo. Probably be the Princeton or the 65 Deluxe Reverb. Why? Because I can't use them for almost everything I need to, and I'm, I feel pretty confident with the pedal. I'm happy. Um, so that's why I would do that. And um, so that's a combo. In general speaking, what I, if I can only have one amplifier, would it be a combo or a head and cabinet? Probably a combo, but only because of the fact that, to me, head and cabinets, one, like I said, heads are easy because you can have a bunch of heads and just a couple cabinets and the footprint isn't as big. The other thing that's nice is, is a lot of times, uh, a friend of mine was just asking this question, funny question, just a week ago. He was like, why, why, are, why are some cabinets open back and some closed? And I said, well, generally speaking, cabinets that go to heads are usually closed back because you can't close back a combo amplifier. And a lot of companies, when they make the same version as a head and combo, they'll make the combo open back because it has to be for the tubes to, to, to get the heat out. And then the head will have a closed back cabinet. The theory being one, some of it's sound, of course, but a lot of it is like consumer logic, right? Like, you know, hey, if somebody doesn't like the open back, they'll buy the head and cabinet. You know, you have two choices now instead of two redundant things. Um, but that being said, I don't have anything that draws me particularly to a closed back cabinet. And that's where I would say that's the way that question lies for me is, do I need an open back or a closed back cabinet? If I really felt I need a closed back cabinet and only closed back cabinet, I would say I need a head and cabinet. I'm okay with open back cabinets. I like the way they sound. I have both. There's things that are good about each one. I could, again, it's not the, I found that that's not necessarily something that's like, I can only do this if it's this. Um, so I would just say I would get a combo. If I could only have one amp, it would probably be a combo. Derek says, happy Friday. Is it all right? Oh, he already did his. <laughs> I read those two out of order, which is weird. I have no idea. X Blitz Zerk Zerfs. <laughs> it's got a yin-yang sign. <laughs> it says, 
Related to the Catalyst Katana Spark, etc., would I see an improvement in quality tone coming from an old Mustang too? Huh. Well, keep in mind, it's always everybody's going to have opinions about these modeling amps. And, and the reason why the opinions vary so much on the internet and on the forums and in person is based on a couple things. There's, and I'm just throwing a number. Three. I'm going to try to say three. Let's see if I can come up with three. Three reasons why the opinions on modeling amplifiers vary so much. One, some players focus on function, what the amp does. So you might like knob interface based things versus a screen thing. You may not like the screen or you might like the screen, right? You might like plugging in a computer and you might hate that. So again, whether the amp has those features or not, it's what your desire is, right? So one, one player might say this amp is a better amp just based on the functions. They like the functions and then they deal with the, S, uh, the, ne- the rest secondly, right? Um, I like that because that actually relates to guitars too. Some guitar players, the neck is everything. To me, the neck is everything. So if I have a neck and it's very comfortable and the guitar's tone isn't where I want, I will fight to get the tone right on the guitar more than I would ever play a neck that I hate with a guitar that I think sounded great, okay? But there's another player who's the opposite. They'll play a, a neck they don't like because it has the tone they want. It's a, it depends on where your drive force is. So back to the amp thing. So you got one, one, one argument is going to be players are going to argue are going to argue for the, you know, the uh, features. The second thing is uh, the sounds, but the sounds are divided up. So in other words, somebody could say like, for me, I don't, uh, I don't think a lot of modeling amps have great clean or low blues rock tones. And and so, you know, just to be very clear, I'm not a blues rock player. I play everything from punk rock to metal to whatever. I play everything, Uh, right? It's all over the place. It's whatever my mood is. My point is, um, it's not that I need an amp that sounds good for blues and, uh, you know, light overdrive and clean. It's that I find that's where I have trouble finding amps that I inspire me and sound very good. So some amps might be better at that than others. I think the Fender amps do that really well. I've always thought that. I think Fender modeling amps, the Mustang series and the Champions, which is not modeling, but that kind of stuff. I think it does great clean and light rock sounds. And then they do horrible high gain sounds. And then I think like, I thought the Viper series did high gain sounds really good, right? I'm, I'm just referencing and stuff. So again, it's all going to be different that way. So that's the second reason why people are arguing why one's better than the other one. And the last, of course, is just brand loyalty. <laughs> See, I did three. Uh, and how that feels too. Some people just inherently think one brand is cheap and one brand is good. And by the way, I know this is true. I'm not guessing because the brands bank on this. There's a reason why, look, you think you think a Fender and Marshall, they, they're like, you think they one day went, Man, I wish we made cheap modeling amps like everybody else. <laughs> all we have is just all the iconic amps that everyone's ever always wanted, always in every rock album and blues album ever in history. No, they were like, they, they were like, no, we have a brand. People trust and like our brand. And why shouldn't we make the same thing a competitor makes? And people will brand loyalty buy it over the competitor. Absolutely. I know this, one, because I say it. Two, because in a store, I watched it happen, <laughs> right? I watched people day after day. I watched it. Fender has always been my favorite this way. And I'm just as dumb as guilty as the person I'm going to make fun of. I'm going to make fun of that person, and then it's me too. I've watched people plug into a Blackstar and go, man, this sounds fantastic. And I go, yeah. And they go, I've never heard of Blackstar. And I go, yeah, it's a new company. It's good. They're like, I really like it, man. And then they'd plug in the Fender, and they go, yeah, this one's not as inspiring, but I really like Fender's. 
I'm like, yeah, Fender's good. And they're like, yeah, but I mean, I'm going to take the Fender. And I go, really? And they go, well, you know, I, I think the Fender didn't suck that bad, <laughs> right? It's it's just branding is powerful. It's just, you know, do you want at the end of the day, do you want to own this brand you never heard of until you walked into a store? Or do you want to own the thing that you always wanted to own? There's a little bit of that in this in this um in this equation. So there's there's that. Um and that's why Spark uh or not Spark, that's why Katana did so well. Man, boss Roland, incredible, right? So there you go. Um Hold on. Okay. Uh, my dog is freaking out. Okay. Um, I know it's on a tangent <laughs> about modeling amps. Uh, end of the question. Oh, and uh, so to f- wrap up, that's why I think. The, the, the part of this question that I just want to make sure I didn't leave hanging is where I think you're going with this is also... With the old Mustangs, look, all the old technology amps are still good. <laughs> you could still still get those. I can grab a Mustang too right now, get good good sounds out of it, and be totally happy. Totally. The point, don't confuse this. I, I, you have a YouTube channel. I have a YouTube channel, and it's about presenting the fact that look, there's a new product. The way I I look at this, the way you guys help me look at this, I didn't create this mindset. I sure as hell wouldn't come up with it on my own, which was. You know, these companies are out there putting out this product to 50 channels and then, of course, guitar magazines and everything else, and they're putting it out there. And I I always thought, like, it's covered. I had that attitude from day one. Like, anytime I saw a product where there's 50, 50 videos, uh, it's covered. If you haven't seen, you'll see this on... I used to go, I used to tell you guys, like, I'm always last to get the product. And I'd be like, yeah, it sucks. Because it does. It kills your views, man. It's like when you make a video that Ola and and Daryl and <laughs> Aggie Fish and, and they, name 50 channels, just name 50 channels. They've all made a video. You guys see the video of my thumbnail and you're just like, even if you're like, I like Phil, but I think I got what this, <laughs> this product is. Um, I used to be like, yeah, I don't want to do that. There's no, there's no views in it. And so no one cares. And really you guys taught me the, well, it doesn't really matter if there's views in it. It really, what matters is, is that, you want to see varying opinions on this and I can bring a, a different opinion to the game. Cause it's really not about what I say. It's about what did I say versus another person versus another person. And then that you can kind of glean the truth, right? That everyone, I told you guys, everybody has a bias. Obviously my bias is I don't want to plug anything into a computer. So where in my video, I said, I'm not going to plug in a computer, but this is the features it does. Somebody else did a deep dive into the computer. So from those two things, you can learn some stuff. Again, uh, I'm a surrogate. I'm here to just play the amp, touch the amp, show the amp, and 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 you guys hopefully, you know, if it's useful to you, useful. But the point of my saying is is that that's why it's always new product. It's hard. It's hard to go back. I watch some channels try it. Sometimes they'll go get an old Viper and do a video, and it just tanks because <laughs> that's not what people want to apparently hear about or talk about. Tony says, I was just happy you made a catalyst video that was an hour long. Originally, it was probably 48, 49 minutes. All my videos, every video I make is long form. So, you know, I, I'm, I know what you're saying. I'm just letting you guys know. I don't know if you know this. Um, all my videos, every single one of them. The shortest video I probably ever made, well, not ever, but let's just say in the last few years, is maybe 35 minutes long. Maybe shortest. And that's not, not likely. They're always about an hour. And then it's, 
That's why I said the patrons get a version. <laughs> get a version. It's like 13 minutes. And then when the final goes out, it's 11 and a half minutes. Like even they look through, I see sometimes and they send me a message like, what'd you take out? And I'm like, ah, I took out some little silly things here or added something in. So yeah, I try to, I try to get down to the, just the core information. So that's what I'm doing. I'm editing down. All I'm trying to do is go, okay, what are the important parts? <laughs> what's the important, what's the part you really don't need to hear or see? This is redundant. I said that earlier. This is, I don't know. You get the idea. Let's get to guitar stuff. Uh, Grumpy Mike just wants me to let me know this shirt looks good on me. That's black's my color. <laughs> black shirt, black hat. Cadillac. Anyways, uh, Serenity Now, Serenity Now says, Phil, speaking of great values in the market, what do you think about Epiphone Elite, elitist guitars, especially vintage ones? Um... I'm not really into them too much. They're really cool. It's, you know, it's funny. It's like, that's not something I personally go after, but they're cool. <laughs> I know it's probably not the most exciting answer ever. Um, I think when it comes to, when you say vintage ones, I always look at it as like when people go and seek out older guitars, you know, older guitars, whether it's a vintage guitar, or just an older guitar, there's usually a logic to that. I don't have anybody that sparked that in me to go look at those kind of guitars where, you know, I might spend hours looking at something else. You know what I mean? Vintage wise. Um, that's, you know, quote unquote vintage. Um, like I'll spend hours looking at, <laughs> I'll spend hours looking at beast rich guitars for some reason. I don't own any. I had one for a moment, not really a guitar. I would actually probably buy, but boy, do I look at them for some damn reason. Like, I just look at them because I think, like, oh, I remember when, you know... Because to me, it was it's not even high school memories. It's junior high. I remember, like, the guitar players that played Beast Riches when I was in junior high were just so cool. And I was like, oh, I need to... <laughs> I need a, 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 you know... I need a, I need to be... I need a warlock. Okay. Um, Jeff says, Phil, is it okay to use blue Loctite non-permanent on, on nuts and tuners pots, etc. Sure. Sure. I, I, I don't see why not. Um, yeah, I mean, you could also use Teflon tape that might work too as well. Both would do well. I see what you're trying to do and, uh, yeah, it would work. Obviously anything you can reverse, uh, is not going to be too detrimental. Um, <laughs> Benjamin, what's up, buddy? Benjamin says, Phil, what up? He says, have cauliflower from Thirsty Lion on me. Excited about Billy Strings playing at the Grammys. That's awesome. Uh, Benjamin is a, a patron. And I told you guys, like, if you come to town, uh, you know, let me know. And it doesn't have to be patrons. But, you know, in, any of you guys, if you come in, in the Phoenix area, you can, you know, send me an email. If I can hook up with you guys and say hi, get a coffee, whatever. And in and, and Ben's case, uh, he's like, yeah, I want to get a coffee. I go, I'd rather go get a beer. <laughs> uh, ben is a, uh, oh, by the way, Ben, thank you for your service. He's prior service and um, an amazing person. Uh, and my wife actually, got, Ben's wife uh, obviously got ill, or not obviously, but she was unfortunately ill and she couldn't be there. But my wife came, which is usually a rare sighting um, to, to have her go out. But um, we had a great time that night. We went to the Thirsty Lion and we had, bar food and uh, beers. <laughs> it was great. And, uh, and, uh, so like I said, um, uh, so thank you, Ben, obviously it was a great night, but, um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Oh, I'm just saying, yeah. If you guys send me a message, same thing like that. If we can do something to say hi, 
uh, I, I'll definitely do that. But, and I'm excited about Billy Strings playing at the Grammys as well, buddy. Uh, Drew says, hey, my first KYG Friday live stream as a, as a patron. I just became one. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, feels good to support the amazing community. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much um, for doing that, Drew, and for being part of the Friday show. Uh, Johnny says, that time of the year to adjust the necks of my guitars come on summer. I don't have, we don't have that here in Arizona. It's like, this is the weather we get and it's just slightly going to get warmer as we go. But yeah, I understand. Time to adjust. Uh, GS uh, did a uh, did a super chat uh, and a beer emoji. Let me go to, speaking of a beer emoji, let's go to the non-super chats. I'm going to tell you guys a story. So it's story time. It's story time. I got to tell you a story because one of the early uh, questions that I saw was, it's April Fool's. Do you have any April Fool's stories? I'm going to share an April Fool's story I did with, with you guys. Um, first of all, I'm going to... Uh, let everybody know, uh, this is just too funny. Uh, Ralph is way worse, uh, than I've ever been at April Fool's jokes. If you guys know Ralph, he's been on the channel a few times here and there. He's a good friend of mine. And, uh, Ralph's favorite April Fool's joke, uh, is he likes to get pictures of David Hasselhoff, not pictures, posters. I'm sorry. He likes to get posters of David Hasselhoff, like half nude. You know, he's doing those kind of like pose with his arm against the wall kind of thing with his furry chest and uh he likes to put them on the back doors of people and he did it to his boss even so when i say back door so when they go in their office and they shut the door all of a sudden they're looking at a half naked picture when i say half naked i mean he's you know pants no and nowadays nowadays you have to be very clear what that means it's a wearing pants no shirt poster of david hasselhoff um that's always a fun thing but so i want to tell you a story this is the best practical joke i ever played on anybody it was on my friend jay um, I'm going to say his name cause we're good friends. I'm going to keep everybody else's names. I'm just going to use fake names to keep everybody innocent. I've told you guys that before I decided to go in this world, I used to, li- I used to be in the corporate world. Well, what I used to do in the corporate world was obviously I was Oracle certified and I also ran Davox. If you know what Davox is, it's a dialing system and it's a phone system for large. I work for a fortune 500 company. I ran an entire centers, uh, reporting and, and, uh, telephony phones, you name it. I did all that stuff. And, uh, and of course I was a manager at that level. So I had, you know, people (laughs) and, uh, my friend Jay was a manager (laughs) in, in the customer service department. And what happened was, um, we did, we did finance. They did finance. And what happened was they were calling customers. What they did is they wanted all the employees to call customers to see if they were interested in getting their due dates changed. Okay. This is a thing that companies used to do. They don't do it anymore. <laughs> it's, it used to be a thing. They call you up and say, Hey, your due dates on this date. The reason is, is because most people, when they buy a car, they buy cars at the end of the month and your due date tends to follow uh, with it. That's why they want for, that when you buy a car. Now if you ever see they give you 45 days to pay that. It's not, because they just want to give you extra time to pay your first payment. It's because the finance company wants to try to align all the due dates correctly. Here's why. You don't want all your entire billion-dollar portfolio of loans all due on the first the same week, right? Because then if a big chunk of people don't pay you, your delinquency runs out of control. This is getting too long of a, of a story, but you get the idea. So what they would do is they say, hey, if your due date was on between the, like, the first and the fifth, they would call you up and say, hey, would you like it pushed to the, like, the 12th, right? And that way it would uh, you know, help us spread due dates across the month. 
This is why the story is hilarious, I promise. So um, what happened in, is what we had a new technology. We were testing it in, in beta testing for a couple of weeks. And the technology was that, and it's very common now, which is it's a technology that when an agent is talking to a customer, as you guys know, when you call places and the agent's talking to you, um, what you may not know is that a manager can talk to the agent through the phone. So you're on the phone and the agent's on the phone. The manager can talk to the agent, but you can't hear them. Only the agent can. It's a great technology. So while you're asking a question, you're like, hey, can I get, you know, five cases of root beer instead of, you know, four? And they're talking and the manager can be telling them, guiding them. And you don't even know this is happening. What happened was, it's funny is, uh, we were testing this technology. Obviously, they, they implemented it. And, uh, but no one knew we had it. And they asked the managers to get on the phones and help the employees call and do these due dates. So what I thought would be funny as a practical joke was my buddy Jay is out as a calling someone and this woman answers. Now, remember, he's calling a woman. He doesn't know, one, that I'm listening. And two, he doesn't know that I can talk to him and she, no one can hear me but him. So she answers the phone and she's like, hello. And he's like, hey, is Dave Smith there? And she's like, hold on, let me get him. And when she left, I go, this is Dave. And he goes, hi, Dave. Uh, I'm calling about your Mercury Sabre. And, uh, and I just want to see if you were interested in getting your due dates changed. And before I could say anything, his mom gets on the phone. And she goes, he's not here. And then I said immediately, oh, oh, mom, it's okay. I know I said tell everybody I'm not here, but he's pretty cool. I'm going to keep talking to him. So Jay then just starts going into the, anyways, your Mercury Saber, if you could change the due date to the ninth, that would be great. And she's like, he's not here. And he's like, ma'am, I'm talking to him. And I said, mom, it's okay. I know I said to tell everybody I'm not here, but I swear he's a cool dude. I just want to keep talking about this due date change. It sounds really interesting. And he's like, so he goes back into, okay, so if the ninth works for you, I can change it. She's like, he's not here. He's like, ma'am, I'm talking to him right now. <laughs> So, then I start laughing and then she gets mad and hangs up and he stands up and he still doesn't remember like the technology doesn't exist. This is why it was a beautiful prank. It's because think about this. He has no idea that there's even this technology even exists. And yet it's being used just to, just to humor me. So he stood up. I'm, we were really far away uh, from each other, but he could see me on my headset laughing and he's like looking at me and he still hasn't put it together. And finally he's just like, ah, oh, you son of a, and he came over and he's like, what was that? And I go, yeah, we're going to be able next week to start talking to our talking to the employees and the customers not hear us. That was my practical joke. Uh, <laughs> I laughed this day one because he's never forgot it. And two, he's always a little nervous now <laughs> when he's talking to somebody. <laughs> oh, it was funny. Anyways, that's my uh, practical joke I played that I thought I'd share with you guys. I don't know if it's funny, but damn, do I love telling that story because I just laughed so hard that day. <laughs> Mom, it's okay. <laughs> I told him. He's a really nice guy. I think that's what I hammed it up to. I thought for sure he was going to know it was me, not only for my voice, but just when I said, Mom, no, he's a really cool dude. I want to keep talking to him about this due date change. Sounds really interesting. <laughs> okay. That's not guitar-related stuff, so we're going to get back to guitar-related stuff, which is going to be uh, from Chad, who says, thoughts on the Gibson's new Theodore guitar. I, I tried to order one. They're like 11 grand now, resale, right? I'm going to try to order one or two. <laughs> uh, 
I, I think they were five grand and they probably sold out in a minute because no matter how much you guys uh, try to fathom the fact that there's who the hell buys a $5,000 guitar, it's 300 and something people bought them. <laughs> but most everybody, do you know that guitar? I'll tell you, I actually want to go down a, the, a couple things with the Theodore guitar. There's a couple, I have some things in hindsight. I know the day that it came out, we talked about it on the channel. Today, I want to follow up with that. Thank you, Chad, for bringing this up. There's two things I'd like to point out about the guitar that's actually cracking me up. One, at a deeper look at the guitar and the drawing of the guitar, the guitar is not like the drawing. <laughs> First, there's this three-way switch or knob or something on the top bout, like on the, you know, on the lower bout. I guess that's the lower bout. Lower bout. Doesn't matter. No, what am I talking about? It's on the horn. It's on the horn. It's not on there on a real guitar. So that's kind of weird. The second thing is I understand they use the, you know, the Gibson style headstock they used, but in the drawing, it's a different headstock. And you're like, well, why didn't you just make that headstock the way he drew it, drew it? And then I'm like, they just use the Gibson headstock. So what I thought was funny was, yeah, they made the guitar based on uh, uh, Ted McCarty's drawing, but it's not exactly like the drawing. That's just one thing I wanted to point out. That's not a make or break. What I want to point out that's funny is there... I know a lot of people bought those guitars to flip them because there's uh, way too many of them on reverb, right? For insane prices, everywhere from eight to $11,000, what everybody's asking now. But I actually kind of like the idea that some of these guys might not do too well <laughs> because I think there's just too many dudes trying to flip them. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's like, it's like, I told you, I... I'm not really a guitar flipper, right? Even, like I said, having a store, even when I had a store, it wasn't really about that for me. You know, it was always like, how do I make a living hanging out and talking about guitars? Obviously, want to make a living. But it was never about like, ha I'm going to get this smoking deal and then flip the guitar. And, you know, not, not really like for me. And so I like to kind of laugh now when I see this. Like, I think everybody thought they were just going to, you know, have a windfall. Here's what I think uh, the screw up was. Hold on. I think if Gibson would have done this last year, they would have done really, really well with those guitars and they were all sold out. But I think now we're starting to see the market's been softening. It's definitely been softening. So, so, you know, I've been telling you guys a couple weeks ago, that's why I like, <laughs> one thing I like about this community is you guys uh, bring up great subjects. I feel like I can never answer questions as well as you guys can create great questions. And I feel like that I'm riding on your guys' coattails of your great comments and questions or it's really fueling this this show. So, uh, like I'm, I'm not just being trying to be humble. I'm really serious. Like I, sometimes I go, man, that whole, like I look at some, uh, you know, one of the podcasts and how well it's doing and I'll look and I go, that's just cause the, the question's so good. No one really probably cares what I thought about it. It's just the question itself was brought up. But, uh, one of the couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that as the, uh, inflation of the guitar prices are crazy on the new guitars the used guitars have been coming down and a couple of you guys reacted with i don't think you're right well proof and pudding every time i say something like i said i don't say anything unless i execute on it or have executed on it or do it my newest acquisition my first guitar this year <laughs> three months in <laughs> is this uh prs hollow body 2 single cut which they don't make anymore beautiful guitar look at it it's just beautiful i don't know like look at it it's just uh, great um and uh that guitar uh, one, I couldn't even find the guitar. The whole time during COVID, I was looking for a single hollow body, single cut hollow body two from PRS. That's the guitar I've been wanting for years and years and years, but they stopped making it. Not only could you not find one, everybody wanted more than they were going for new. 
Somebody listed this last week. So last, last, not this week, but the prior week, somebody listed it for a great price, but put offer button on it as well. So I sent, I sent it to my friend saying, you think I should put an offer on this? And he's like, absolutely. Sent an offer on it. And they accepted the offer. Actually, in all fairness, they, they met me uh, in the offer, but they were, they were, I think they were added a hundred bucks to the offer. It was close. It was pretty much my offer. So the point of the story is that guitar for a fact, you couldn't find a year and a half ago. And if you could, you would have paid double not exaggeration, what I just paid for it. That's definitely the market adjusting because the fact that I could even find one and there's three for sale and I was able to get them to, to budge on the pricing tells you that exactly what we thought, which is the marketing uh, market's been softening and you can see it. By the way, my friend also just recently bought a, a really nice uh, Fender custom shop strat. Same thing. He was able to get a deal. Uh, and, 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 and so they're out there. That's what I'm trying to say. So if you're out there and you're looking at the new guitar prices and having that sticker shock of this inflation, just keep in mind that, you know, there's a lot of players. My theory, which is what I'm going to stick with, which is what I said officially during COVID, the, the industry's theory is 16 million new guitar players bought guitar, and therefore it's a guitar boom of epic proportions, and this will last for the next 10 years. My theory is that all that's probably true, although my theory is that the majority of the new players bought inexpensive guitars from Amazon and other online sites, and that the gobbling up of all these mid and high price guitars was us. If your room looks like anything like this at home, you're just as you're just as bad as me and the uh, we gobbled this stuff up. And what's going to happen is um, as we as we as time progresses, you will thin the herd, so to speak. How many times have you guys seen thinning the herd, getting rid of a few, right? Narrowing the collection down. I see that comment, all oh, those comments all the time on Reverb. So it's it's going to be constantly the same thing that we're going to see. We're going to see that. So the used guitar market will soften because it's not going to flood, but you're going to see people, you know, hey, did they really need to buy six, seven, 10, 15, 20 guitars during COVID? Those are not exaggerations. So there you go. Um, Favorite guitar says, how do I get my guitars to you for setups? You, you can't, I haven't done a setup. Well, I mean, I've, I've done a few, so I don't want to say I'm not doing any, but it's really tr tricky because I'm not actually, I have stopped doing repairs as of like the middle to the beginning of last year, 2021, um, to to devote any time to pickups, which is why, in fact, it's easy to figure out when I stopped doing repairs as when in the videos, you don't see videos of the shop anymore. Like all of a sudden, remember there was videos, like when I did the... Um, uh, the uh, geeky stuff sections of the videos that was in the shop, right? I would do that stuff in the shop. And then all of a sudden you see them doing the geeking stuff here. No one really asked me about that. I thought I was somebody that was going to like, why'd you stop doing it in the shop? The shop is just in constant disarray of making pickups. So it's just all spools of wire and pickup bobbins and stuff. And it's just stuff. So it's just, there's, think about this. I, even when I have a repair, I have to do for some reason, uh, cause there's all kinds of reasons why you have to do something. It's a little tricky sometimes. I don't even have bench space for it because <laughs> I just, you know what I mean? You, you, it's just like anywhere else. I keep my areas clean, but I mean, I have a lot of parts and stuff. There's a lot of magnets and parts and things going on when I'm trying to catch up. And there's just no reason at this point to, uh, 
you know, I felt like I thought I could handle both both those things and kind of weigh them both. And I thought for sure one would kind of subside, subside and do the other, but it doesn't seem to work that way. So we'll see. Michael says, uh, I'm going to a couple things for me now. These are questions I'm interested in. Michael says, hey, Phil, love what you do. Do you still review small uh, home builders and repair businesses? So here's the trick with smaller builders. I've been putting some of them, I, I've been having a problem <laughs> with smaller builders and smaller companies, which is, um, I, it's not a problem. I love doing them. That's the easy part. The problem is, is like, it's a process and it's very long. First of all, what I've learned is you have to kind of educate the smaller companies, the small builders. Like, I don't think they understand YouTube. Well, let's back up. They don't understand YouTube. You got to understand. Let's like uh, take a, I want to take a, a smaller channel. I want to pick on a smaller channel, pick on a size of it, not a specific one. Let's say a channel has 5,000 subscribers. That seems to be a, a very uh, effective number. Okay. And you'll see where I mean by this in a second. You can have a channel of 5,000 subscribers. You can make a video and you could take a small company and sell them out for a year, a whole year. I mean, literally they'll be working the next year off that video, off the orders they got off that one video. I have recently had this happen now at least four or five times in the last 12 months where I did a video and you guys the viewership ordered so much product from that company, literally capsized the company with orders that they can't even process. They, uh, it's, and, and so the reason I say that it has nothing to do with the size of the channel it has to do with the type of viewers on the channel. See what I'm saying? Like you, you know, I'm not, I'm not Tyler Larson. I'm not Rick Beato. I'm not these guys getting these million views and stuff. I'm not getting these big views. You, you don't need big views. The, it's not the, it's not me. It's you. <laughs> You guys are uh, into this, and when you see something new and exciting, you want to buy it. And so a lot of you react. It's called conversion rate. My conversion rate on my channel, like a lot of the gear channels, is higher than a normal YouTube channel. So the reason I tell you that is that I've already had this happen twice. Uh, you, patrons see this stuff more th than you guys see, but I'll share it with you. I'll make a video. I'll send it to the patrons. The patrons will sell out the company. So I have no reason to even post the video to you guys because there's no product because the, the patrons start emailing me going, Hey, I saw, and there, there's none left. And then I'll call the company and they're like, yeah, we sold out. And I go, okay. And they go, well, in like a month and a half, we'll have more stock. And I'm like, well, why would we put a video out and you have no stock? So I had to put the videos on hold and wait. And, and so that that's, uh, I'm still going to do that smaller builders, but what I've learned with smaller builders, they have to be ready, which is a scary thing because for me, because remember, I'm not getting anything financially from that. But I'm also concerned that I don't want to put a small builder in, in. I don't want to make trouble for them. In other words, if I tell them like, oh, you're going to sell so much stuff as soon as this video goes out. <laughs> and then they don't all feel bad that they had to beef up that inventory, which is why I tease it to the, to the patrons sometimes to test that waters to see if patrons, you know, I'll see from the, the conversion rates seem to be about the same between you and the patrons. So in other words, if the, if, you know, if I see 50 views from the patrons and I see this many sales, comparatively speaking, I'll know if I get 5,000 views, that will be the number and it will go so on and so on. So the reason I say that is, is that's why I'm still actively seeking out those small builders. Trust me, I don't want to always put the attention on the, on the, 
the big companies and the companies that are pushing all the marketing dollars. It's not really a desire, but it's in tonight's market. It also doesn't make sense to make a whole lot of videos of things that you guys can't get. And then all you do is create a sub market of resale on reverb where everybody's jacking up the prices, which sucks. That's not something I ever wanted to do and never want to do. I don't want to be the reason why, you know, everybody's like, uh, not only sold out, Phil, but everybody's asking double use price on reverb. I'm like, that just sucks ass. So, uh, so it's a little bit of, uh, of that, but, but so there you go there. That's, that's the answer to that. But yes, if you're a small company, uh, I'd love to, to work with you. Trust me. You're, you're my preferential. First, it's more exciting for me. What I, it's a lot easier for me to do a video of a thing that I'm interested in than a thing I think, you know, oh, this everybody will watch this if I do it. That's a great, that's great because that makes you like you'll get numbers or something. But real deep down, it's more interesting to check out this guitar. I, I've said this before. One of my favorite videos I did in, in the last 12 months was the 304 guitar, the stainless steel fretboard guitar. Why? So cool. <laughs> why because i never tried it before i mean like you know that's one of the that's the first time i've ever tried that guitar and it'll probably be the last time i ever play a guitar like that again you know besides theirs i mean i can't imagine a lot of companies like hmm we should also machine fretboards out of stainless steel with frets like that's a really crazy thing and like i said if it wasn't for having a youtube channel there's probably no way i would be able to experience that guitar without having to put out three four grand for it so it was a really nice uh, guitar that was definitely a guitar like <laughs> one of those guitars when you send them back because they sent two and you put them back in the box and you send them back and you're just like i need to buy this i think i do <laughs> i'm still it's still on my radar i might don't be surprised one day if i don't end up with one i really that was cool so, um, hold on. I'm sorry. I always feel bad when I'm reading and it's quiet. <laughs> Susan says I should dump Netflix and become patron. It's Netflix is more interesting than becoming a patron. Patrons to me are about supporting the channel in some way, but Susan, you're here every week supporting the channel. Like I said, there's a thousand ways you can support what we do here, what I do here. I appreciate all of them. Like I said, don't feel, don't one should feel ever obligated to do anything. Uh, the, the channel is doing great and I'm lucky to have it as I try not to itch my nose. My sinus has been killing me. Itchy eyes. I think it's the dog dander just getting to me right now. Um, the next question comes from Richard, who says, hey, Phil, lots of new releases in the Echo Effect world. Yeah, right, because they did this. Yes, hold on. Uh, trying to decide between the DL V2 and the new Space Echo. Also the new uh, New X or Nux. I like to say Nux, but New X. Uh, that should be coming out soon for 180 bucks. New X, man, makes great stuff for the price. I like my Atlantic pedal. That's really good. As you guys know, I love my Keeley Caverns, but the New X uh, for 50 bucks less is a very, very good, very good pedal. I believe the big difference is one's digital and one's analog. I could be totally off base on that, but that's the way I thought I perceived it. I thought New X was digital and the Keeley is analog, but I could be wrong. thought I was pretty close on that. Um, I haven't tried the DLV2 or the Space Echo, so I couldn't tell you which one to get, but both look really, really interesting for a ton of reasons. So, I mean, bass are basic, both, are base, both are based off iconic, you know, uh, units that are fantastic. But yes, uh, D-Pat says, Fender Mustang 50 or Spark. I need a new modeler. 
again, they're different to me. They're different animals. The Spark is a desktop. Okay. See, the, the, one of the things that I didn't say in the video about the Catalyst was, and, and somebody asked, and I really, I knew it was going to be a thing when I made the video. I knew when the video was wrapped up and edited, I was like, I'm not addressing the Spark in this video. And I go, I should say something. And I'm like, but I have trouble. Here's why. To me, the Spark is not in the market comparison to the Catalyst or the Katana, right? I understand they're both practice amps and home and there's great things about them. As you guys know, I still like my Spark. Um, I should say, I still like the Spark. It's even better. But what I was gonna say is is that um, I, I think the Spark's biggest contender is the Yamaha THR10. So I think if you're thinking about a Mustang 50 or Spark, I don't know where I would go with that. But if you're thinking about a Spark or THR10, that's something I could probably help with because I'm really interested in myself. Thank you, Meester, for the uh, the super sticker. I appreciate that. PL, PL, PW says, have a pint on me. I will. I'm going to get new pint glasses. I'm very excited about that. My wife was showing me. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Framus. Uh, they're used 69 semi hollow with trim Framus on CL Craigslist in my town. And any experience with vintage Framus first or second hand? I'm tempted. Y yeah, they're different. So the old Framus stuff is different than new Framus. You got to understand, like Framus in, in the 60s and 70s basically was doing uh, recreations of stuff in Europe. You know what I mean? That's all Framus was. Was kind of like Framus was like um, was like a Hagstrom, you know, right? They were basically in Europe copying a lot of USA type guitars that were too expensive to get into Europe. So to make them more affordable, plus doing them a little kind of strange, you know, variations on that. They're cool. I was going to say good, but they're cool. They're cool, but they're different. Uh, the new Framus, you got to understand. So Framus, uh, the current Framus is the son of the old Framus. Best way to put that, right? So the person who owned Framus back in the day, his son owns Warwick Bases, right? We know we're familiar with the Warwick Bases. And he decided to bring the brand back as an homage to his father, and of course, what he did was he took all his years of experience building Warwicks and his factory and said, okay, I'll make Framus. And although they'll try to make some of the new Framuses look like some of the old Framuses, they are just a different instrument. So they are just different, if that makes any sense. One is a vintage vibey, kind of silver tone, kind of kind of out there kind of thing. And the new ones are like these highly toned machines, you know, it's precise engineering I mean, the way they make them is very precise. So to me, it's like comparing a Silvertone to a PRS now. Like, so imagine a world where PRS used to make guitars like Silvertone, and now they make the Paul Smiths. It's not that either one is bad or good. They're just so different. They're not the same. Uh, Jim says, considering an acoustic, think about the singer's voice. Oh, okay. So he's just giving information. So think about your singing voice. If an acoustic overpowers it, then there will be a fight for sonic space. I wanted a tailor, but it's high tenor. I found, I fought with them. Yeah, of course. That's a great, that's why I said, that's why you kind of need to play an acoustic. I mean, it sucks. It's a hard thing. The only exception would be beginner acoustics. You know what I mean? That's why like a lot of times if I do videos of acoustics, all they'll be in the lower price range. Cause again, beginner acoustics are very easy. It's just about which one's quality, which one does what you need to do. And then from there, you kind of learn what you need an acoustic to, to be, uh, hopefully. MP Kramer says, <laughs> it's funny, MP Kramer. Hmm, interesting. MP Kramer wants to know if I ever figured out where the guitar came from. I'm assuming the Kramer guitar. Thank you for all you do. Happy weekend. I did not, but I'm kind of curious now that somebody's named MP Kramer and a Kramer showed up. That is interesting. So interesting to say the least. Hmm. <laughs> You're like, 
<laughs> Did you ever figure out who sent you the guitar? Sent from I sent guitars. <laughs> I'm I'm not saying it's for sure, but I'm saying I got I've got have I'm I'm not a uh, detective, but I kind of thinking something now. Modern Vintage says, do you have any info on the, why PRS stopped making all their amps and cabs in the U.S.? Sure, of course. Uh, do you know why do they say who makes their amps, cabs like they, wait, do you know, do they, oh, do they say who makes their amps, camps uh, like court guitars? Does the core, uh, does the core or S2 team make Silver Skies? Okay. Let's, these are great questions. Modern Vintage, let me go through the, the answers that I can tell you. First, I'm going to out of order just because it's easy. Does the uh, core and S2 teams make the Silver Skies? Yes. It's all pretty much the same. Uh, uh, Private Stock's its own little area. So like Nathan, obviously, when he used to work there, would tell you like he would buff Silver Skies, he would buff S2s. But he actually, in his he wouldn't do the cores so much. So cores would be different. But S2s, single cuts, uh, Silver Skies, he would do all those. So there is some overlapping, and then there's some areas where they're not. A lot of the S2s, a lot of the, the Silver Skies are made with the same people who make the S2s. Probably because they're like, you know, in other words, they like in their features and their sets and their, and their carves. But it's all down in the same factory. To answer your question, why did they stop making their amps in the U.S.? They do still make, I think, one or two, like the new the new HR, the Jimi Hendrix amp, I think is still in the USA. Um, well, first of all, they were building, as, they never were, I don't want to say never, but what we consider PRS amps, let's say from the Archon forward and some of the Doug Swole stuff, a lot of that stuff never said made in USA, if you notice, it said assembled in USA because it was all coming from, like, you know, just like everything now with comes to amplifiers. It's all imported parts, right? You have tubes coming from China and Russia. You have circuit boards coming from China. You have, you know, the whatever, the vinyls coming from Vietnam. Like, it's just all this stuff, and then they were just putting the amps together. And a lot of them were pre-made. So, in other words, like, a lot of the amps, like, the boards would come pre-assembled, pre-done and soldered and all that stuff, and they would just drop the board in, connect, do connectors, add another board and a couple little solder points, and they were like, okay, this is amps, done. So, at some point, like a lot of manufacturers, uh, they go, okay, well, okay, we're assembling them in the USA, but at this point, we're 90% or 70 70 to 90% import parts. What parts are really coming from the USA and the amp other than the assembly process? And if we can do it cheaper, let's just do it overseas. And that's what they did. And they did drop their prices. So they did carry that, which is important because some companies have done this and not dropped their prices. They held their price the same or raised them. Um, my understanding, and I can't speak of every uh, thing like the, uh, I don't know about, uh, but I can tell you on the new Archon, the new Archon is made by Cortec. So Cort actually also makes the amps. I believe, as you know, I've interviewed Jack Hickenbotham a couple times from PRS and he runs SE. There's a reason why they went to Cortec, right, as a company, why they left World. Um, excuse me. A lot of it was, of course, economic things, right? They, you know, it's cheaper to go to Indonesia than Korea. There's all those kind of things. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that Cortec is a one-stop shop. They have a factory in China that makes acoustics and they can make the hollow bodies. They have a factory in Indonesia that can make guitars and amps. So the amps are made in Indonesia, if that helps. I reviewed the new Archon and I can tell you what was on that amp that I saw for sure. And again, I can't speak to every amp and every situation, but the amp that I had and I demoed was made by Cortec and was made in Indonesia. So 
there you go. <laughs> right. Um, what I can tell you is um, that's part of it. And then, of course, you know, like I said, it's it's they don't have a big facility there. And as they sold uh, more amps, they just started you know doing that stuff. I mean, it's the inevitability of all this. We all know, you know, it's just like everything else. I'm not saying it all goes to China, but it's all going to go somewhere unless we figure out how to keep building it here. Uh, I, I don't know how to say it. Guitar, guitar nut. Guitar nut says, should we all just buy court guitars and take out the middleman? Well, if you want to keep your money, you can. Absolutely. I've reviewed court guitars in this channel as well. Like I said, my whole point is just to give you, again, information. I'm going to make videos about everything. I'll make a video about a cheap guitar, an expensive guitar, a Chinese guitar, an American guitar, a German guitar, Australian guitar. I don't care where it is. I'll just do, do the video, do the information, and then you decide what you should do with your money. It's your money. You decide what to do with it. <laughs> okay? Um, but it's important to know uh, what's good and what's not good and why. And, and that's, and that's what I hopefully, you know, channels like us can convey. And, and that just helps. And I hope it helps. And that's why I talk about components and stuff like that. Very interesting stuff. Uh, Guitar Man 45 says Western Electric is setting here, uh, setting here in the U.S., sitting here, I guess setting here. It's in the U.S. Western Electric is a tube manufacturer in the U.S. That is correct. Says, uh, wants to make guitar amp tubes according to Guitar World. Yes. So Western Electric uh, makes tubes, but not for our industry. They make tubes for outside of our industry. They don't make guitar tubes. So, And obviously with the tube uh, issues at play, which again, I'd like to point out one more time, that the tube issue is more than just the fact that Russia had the embargoes and all that stuff and all the Russian things. Tubes were already problems since COVID, since the Chinese factory uh, had issues, since their supply chain issues, all that stuff. It already had already uh, already been a problem, right? It already been a problem before all this, like I said. That's why this only makes that problem worse. It's kind of like, like I said, it's not fear of like, oh, you better get your tubes before it's too late. It's not that. It's just like I said in that day when we talked about it, prices will go up and they are going to go up. I still think you can find tubes for the most part, even when people say they can't. I'm like, no, nah, I can still find, I can find tubes right now. Just you're going to pay a little bit more for them for sure. But um, the point is uh, Western Electric is talking about uh, manufacturing tubes here in the U.S. And uh, they have asked out, I thought they reached out and asked people to like email them and say, what tubes would you like to see and why? Um, what I got from Western Electric, and again, <laughs> This is just something I gleaned from the uh, information that I, I'd seen is this is kind of like Western Electric. What they're doing is kind of like how the the uh, oil companies in the U.S. are doing. It's like, OK, well, gas prices are high, so we'll drill here, drill here. But before we drill, we got to find out how permanent the high prices are. And I think Western Ele Electric is in that same boat. Like, we'll make tubes here for you guys, but we got to make sure the prices stay. They didn't say this, but that's what I got was like, they need the prices to stay high. Remember? Cause they can't, you know, they can't go, okay, we're going to make guitar tubes. And then we're going to try to figure out how to make them as cheap as Russia and China did. That's just not going to be very practical for them. Um, so we got to make sure that not only they make the ones we want to buy, but also that we'll pay the price for them, which is very important because let's face it. There's a lot of tubes out there used that you can still get. Um, so we could go, we could go decades <laughs> and still have amps and tubes. Start cannibalizing cheap tube amps that we're not using. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. I'm not sure. You know, I'm sure.
Rock Daddy says there are two manufacturers not in Russia. Yeah, again, Russia's not the issue. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to point out when I talked about it on the show the first time I was the first I saw anybody talk about it was here. I had I had been under a not an NDA, not a, I don't want to say that, but I was under a plea, uh, like a gentleman's agreement not to talk about the fact that I I told you guys during COVID I was dealing with companies. Every, just like I do now every week, but it was always like, okay, we want to talk about this product, but we can't get this product or here's our issue. This is what's going on. And one of the things was happening, as you guys know, you guys saw it. It's just like a lot of times when you see a product in the background of a video and then you don't see me talking about it for months. Sometimes I'm researching it. Sometimes it's an issue if they don't have any. And, and tube amps were definitely a thing where I got a tube amp. I'm doing a video of the tube amp and they're flat out like, dude, literally we can't ship any tube amps if you do a video because we don't have any tubes. <laughs> that had nothing to do with Russia. That was way before Russia that was already happening. They were having trouble getting deliveries of tubes. So again, tubes, have, it's, I don't care where they're made. It's been an issue. It's been an issue for years. It will continue to be an issue. It's not worth, I don't think it's worth freaking out about. Like I said, I'll stick with what I originally said, which is if you, I told you guys, you did it. I can tell you right now, you guys are definitely way ahead of everybody else because I told you guys, if you're going to buy some tubes, buy them before the prices go up. Most of you guys did it. Most of the time I saw all the freak out was when everybody's like, oh, it's the end of tubes. And then all of a sudden everybody bought them up and hoarded them. That's on them. That was dumb. <laughs> or maybe it was smart. I don't know. But here's what I know. It, it, you know, I you got a few tubes, put them away, and you'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we tune talk says Western Electric makes one type of tube at $3,100, a match quad, and otherwise only hi-fi amps and preamps, 10K and up. Don't hold my breath. I, yeah, I'm, again, don't freak out. <laughs> like I said, here's the cool part. If they can't get tubes anymore, then they'll figure out something else. They'll just figure it out. That's just how it'll work. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, it's like worrying about tubes. And again, being aware of prices going up and putting money in your pocket by buying it before the prices go up. And I understand that. That's why we talk about it on the channel. Worrying about things that you don't need that you'll have trouble getting access to. It's not the worst thing. To, it's not a thing I think you should worry about. That's like saying, man, you can't get high and wired fender amps anymore. All you get is PC board ones. Like if, uh, you know, I'm sure that was a discussion once. If we had YouTube 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that's what we would be talking about. Eh, fender switching to PC boards and it's going to be horrible, <laughs> right? So don't worry. Like I said, um, I don't, I'm not worried. I only, only thing I worried about was, like I said, putting a couple preamp tubes away. So I have a few preamp tubes in case one goes out because sometimes they go out. Uh, what else? Oh, uh, we all float here <laughs> says, Hey Phil, I have a Schecter Banshee elite with a SD, a Seymour Duncan Nazgul in the bridge and it is too bassy and no sustain. Any ideas? Uh, setup is decent. Um, that's a pretty, pretty heavy, heavy pickup, like heavy, like it punts out. It's a very high output pickup. Nazgul is like a thing, <laughs> like a killer pickup. I, I don't know. I would probably go with something. A little bit different. It's funny because I think of the Nazgul's of again being more top end and less bassy, but it could be more mid scooped, and that could be in the tone you're using. It could be that's what's illustrating the bass. Um, no sustain. I I feel like high end high output pickups never seem to have the sustain that I want either. So I would go with something a lower output. If you got a Seymour Duncan in there, put a PA uh, the the fifty nine, you know something like that, or the Seth Lover. I love those pickups. Uh, pedal LY says for the pedal jar, 
I'm going to have to start a pedal jar. And he says, uh, pedal LY says capsize their site with orders. And then he said, cry. <laughs> he's got a crying emoji. I think it means he's laughing. He's laughing. Sorry, he's crying. In theory, app says, if I'm going all, wait, if I'm going all in, what type of measurement tools, brands, and those tools should I have for pickup winding? Um, well, I, I like uh, Mojo Tone for a lot of pickup winding tools. They make some great stuff. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of a, I like their winder. It's, I like it more than the Shatten winder, which is a really good winder. Don't get me wrong. I just like their winder a lot. I have two of them. They work great. It's what I'm comfortable using with, uh, using, and, um, I like it better than the other ones I've had in the past. So that's it. Uh, you really don't need a whole lot of tools. There's not a whole lot of tools. I bought a lot of the gimmicky tools over the years. Like, oh, this will help. No. <laughs> You know, right? Just, you need a winder, you know, wire cutters, soldering iron. I like Weller. Try Weller, man. I don't, I can't swear enough by Weller. You can get parts for them if they break. Multimeter. I don't even know if I know, I could tell you the brand of my multimeter. <laughs> I don't, I, the one I have is small. That's why I liked it. I bought it because it's small and it, and I didn't need it to do a whole lot. I needed to do just volts and ohms and that's it. And just very, so it's very inexpensive one. Probably mine was like $20. And uh, other than that, I don't think you need anything else. I'm trying to think like anything else. I like, I can literally make pickups with just those items. I just said, I don't think I'm using anything else. Soldering iron, multimeter, the winder, Yeah, that's it. I mean, I, there's a couple of things for my pickups that I use, like a file and stuff like that, and and drills and stuff. But but you wouldn't need it for regular pickups. Greg says, "What is your favorite animal? <laughs> what What is your favorite animal that should also be the name of a guitar or an amp?" I have no idea. That's a weird question. <laughs> my favorite animal animal that also should be an amp. Is there an amp? Well, Bad Cat makes it. There's cat. That's an amp. I don't think I own an amp that's named after an animal besides bad cat. So my favorite animal is a cat and bad cat amp. And it's not a cop out. That's actually true. It just, just dawned on me. Uh, Michael says, Hey Phil, let me know if you want to check out a Fender 60th anniversary drag Jaguar sent details in the Patreon message. Plus have another pint. Um, I think I saw it. I thought I responded to your email. I'm not sure. The thing about uh, you guys, uh, you guys as a whole, when you guys send me emails and say, Hey, look, I have this guitar. I'd like to send it, or I'd like you to, you know, get it and review it on the channel. Um, there's a couple things in play that are a little tricky. <laughs> One, I, I love, I love the idea of doing that. And I've done them in the past. Trust me. I've reviewed a ton of things where you guys have helped, like essentially you sponsored the channel by getting the, the guitar there. The one thing that I have to explain is, and it changes all the time. Like right now, today's April 1st, April is done. Like if, Anyone wants a video in the month of April, it's impossible for me to do. Uh, not impossible. That just seems more dramatic. It's not likely because I have a schedule and they're done. Like I have everything scheduled because I have, a, I know how many hours I can do, how much I can, you know, devote to the video editing, the video. So if somebody came to me right now and said, okay, we want to send you this guitar. We have to talk about May. It's like, it's going to be in May. And then in May, I need, uh, I need, 
like a week to two weeks with the product um, because I don't like, like I said, I don't like, I've tried a few times doing it the old, you know, the old way, the other way where you just take a guitar and you mess with it for a day or two and then you do the video. I always feel like there's always a comment that I don't like where it's like, oh, you didn't know that thing or there's a thing, something they say. And I'm like, you know what? I want to make sure, again, not that I know everything about the guitar and I say everything in the video. It's that everything I say, it's just not, I'm, I'm not confused by anything. I really want to, the things that I find, I want to take time to find out what's important about the instrument. So that's the main thing. So the problem is, is that's already difficult with companies. They always like lose their mind on those two ideas that I need to schedule it out. And then I need time with the instrument with you personally. That's a trickier thing because now you're, um, I, somebody even, I think it might've been you saying like, I know you're like, you know, you can even do it really fast. I think somebody was saying like, I'll send it to you and you be quick. And then that way you don't have it, you know, stored up in the house. And I'm like, well, that doesn't help because or not help, but that's not the problem. It's not that I, it's, I, I just don't do anything fast and I don't know if I'm going to. Um, okay, hold on. <laughs> hold on. Hmm. Uh, Kronos uh, says, have I ever tried third power amps? Third, the third power amps. Um, I don't think I've ever tried one. I've seen them in person. I don't think I actually plugged in and tried it. It's very cool from what I understand from my friends and stuff, but I don't think I tried it. Hold on a second. I don't know why I'm telling you guys to hold on. Okay. Uh, ben says, uh, I play, I play positive grid, uh, iOS X tone into a THR 10 spark ex excessive low end problem solved. Oh, interesting. So the positive grid, uh, well, that would make sense. I think the THR 10 doesn't have a lot of low end. So I would imagine if whatever you plug into it, it's going to, it's not going to translate that low end cause it doesn't have a ton of it, but that's an interesting, uh, thing, thing I didn't think about. Uh, Modern Vintage has a follow-up question, I think. It says, since the S2 production team is making the Silver Skies, not the core, custom, does that likely mean newer, less experienced looters and employees? No, that's not how it works there, man. Um, first of all, you got to understand, the Silver Sky is on the same tier as S2. It's considered a bolt-on. So the Silver Sky is not a core guitar, not by Paul Smith's definition, the company. The way that they would explain their product lines, it would be uh, private stock is the premium, right? So that's like Gibson Custom Shop, Fender Custom Shop. So it's private stock. Then under private stock would be core. Then under core would be probably equal, but either way, it's going to be bolt-ons and S2s, right? And maybe bolt-ons are below S2s. So the bolt-ons would be right now like the Mark Letiri, uh, the Silver Sky, and the CE24s. Those are the bolt-on models, right? Then under bolt-on models would be the SE uh, series that's, uh, you know, the standard, not standard, but SE series. And then uh, the and then underneath that would be SE standard where it's like, you know, just a cut, cut down version of that. That would be their tier structure of how they look at it. So the Silver Sky is not considered a core. So that's one. Two, uh, the experience, the experience of the cores 
versus the S2s isn't so much a level of like competency. It's like they don't they don't they don't go okay a luthier works on the core and then some employee that doesn't isn't a luthier works on the uh, SE or the S2 or sorry the SEs because they remember they they do the setups on the SEs too the S2s it's more of the uh, sanding buffing teams are different because there is more it takes more time to sand and buff the cores right. So it's about assigning the right skill sets. So, for instance, Nathan's not here, and I hate to speak for him, and he could always clarify this later, but Nathan worked really fast. He was very efficient, right? That's I remember, Nathan now works at the Fender Custom Shop for the Jackson guys, but Nathan has always been a very fast, diligent worker. So he could pump out a lot of guitars. So they had him do a lot of S2s and, 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 and Silver Skies, not because he wasn't capable of doing cores, but... If you have somebody who's really good at getting this done and he can pump out 20 guitars in a day or whatever the number that they had him doing, uh, you want him doing that. And the other person who's not as fast, but maybe that means they're diligent, you know, like kind of like the, the nuts and bolts. So, and that's even not really accurate. They could be actually putting the less skilled person on the more detailed guitars because they can go slower because you can take more time with that guitar. Right? So there's a there's a thing. Remember, the, when it comes to sanding and buffing, especially towards the end of a guitar, man, you can... You can, when you're, especially when you're talking about these paper thin uh, nitrocellulose lacquer finishes and these uh, volute carves that PRS does and stuff on the ends, they can really mess those up really easy. And then you have a guitar right at the end of the assembly that's just it's dead. So that's the thing. And, and also, not talking about PRS, just talking in general about factories. First of all, the term luthier is not a term I would use with almost any factories as a whole. Most factories are labor that is mostly skilled in the fact that they they came to the factory with no skill and then were trained at the factory um i mean they almost all factories especially prs works this way everyone including think of this the coo of paul reed smith guitars jack hingabotham started as a buffer sander that's where they pretty much all start out um, you'll see even private stock. Well, I don't know if the private stock, but you get the idea. You get most all the employees started out the, at the beginning and they work their way up. So a lot of this industry is you come in with little to no experience and you work their way up. And um, you can, you know, the, uh, the, I've had a lot of friends besides Nathan that work at these factories and they'll tell you that you can literally, you, you'd be shocked, but you can start in the high end guitars. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, like last week I was landscaper, and this week I'm now working on a high end guitar. I mean, they, it's these manufacturers have perfected uh, kind of like, and I don't want to take anything away from them. I always feel like this isn't a, it's made to me a compliment. So take it that way. They're kind of like McDonald's. They, a lot of them have learned how to be so efficient in their process that they could take somebody and put them in a place and go, okay, do this. Um, there's a famous thing. It's famous. <laughs> I just said I just said a stupid thing out loud. I'm sorry. I was gonna say I said a famous thing. I was really gonna say this. Um, it's not that I said a famous thing. I did say something though uh, when talking to a, a a big manufacturer that does expensive guitars. We were talking casually, as uh, just casually. And uh, and I say the reason I said it was famous is because they quote me all the time saying this. Um, they said, oh, they were at the NAMM show, and while they're there, they did a tour of Fender. This is a couple years ago. And they said, well, we did a tour of the Fender factory. We're just standing there, you know, uh, having a meal. And I said, oh, yeah, it's, I've been there many times. It's nice. And they said, we, we don't understand it. <laughs> I said, you don't understand it? And they go, no, it's very confusing for us. They go, um, their whole process was so strange. And I said, oh. And we're just, you know, eating meal. 
And then I said, apparently, this famous thing. I said, um, well, I think your problem is is that you don't understand that Fender doesn't make guitars. And they go, they all stop, like all of a mid, like mid-bite. What? You know, right? And I go, yeah, like you guys, I'm just keeping this out of this because I've never asked him if it was okay to talk about this. I said, uh, you guys make guitars, right? You make, you know, nice guitars, beautiful guitars, works of art. Um, you went to Fender and you're confused because Fender's making parts. They make necks and bodies and bridges and, right? They, they're making parts and they're assembling guitars. It's not like, like if you've ever been to Music Man, Music Man, like they, they, they barcode scan things. Like the body goes off one way and the neck goes off. And at any point you can go on a computer and Music Man can tell you like the body is here getting painted and the neck's here and they're going to meet up at the end and they're going to be together. That's how it is. But Fender is more like a, <laughs> just stacks of bodies, stacks of necks, and then people crate them off into different sections. And somebody at section 12 walks to section 13. There's a sign that says drop off here, go back to section 12. It's it's a mass production facility. It's it's what Fender does. It's it's McDonald's. Somebody's like, I grill it. This person toasts the bun. This person squirts ketchup in it. Like, and then at the end, it's a burger. And I said, see, you guys are looking at it like, like, like the way you do it. But it's really they're not building guitars. They build parts. And then, like I said, in theory, which is not really true, but it's, I said in theory. They can make a neck today. Somebody there can make a neck. And whether that goes on a body and becomes a real guitar or goes in a box and becomes a part that they sell to somebody because uh, they sell their parts, it could ultimately not matter. And they said, uh, and they, and then they, st- mid, mid bite, they go, that's it. That's exactly what we saw. You're right. We were so confused by the process because it seemed like chaos. And I go, yeah, it's not chaos. It's just at the end, they make guitars and <laughs> that's it. So they assemble guitars. So the reason I tell you that modern vintage is that there's this, always this, um, and it's true sometimes, but not the majority of the time. There's always this weird theory or feeling that you're like, I bought this guitar, even expensive ones, if it's mass produced, a mass produced guitar. You're like, you think, of course, someone who loves guitar like me went and got a job there. And I can tell you right now, I, for every employee that's like plays guitar, I can tell you I met at any factory. Okay. And some are better than others. Like PRS, I would say has a higher percentage of guitar players than let's say Fender. And those are two factories. I can definitely say that the, those are truthful statements for every guitar, for every guitar player. I'm like, Oh, you play guitar. Yeah. There I meet five employees and like, I don't play guitar. <laughs> and I go, but you make guitars all day. And like, yeah. Like why they were hiring. That's I, that's what I do now. And so, and then if you think about it, when you look at a factory, again, we're not talking about luthiers. When you look at a factory, whether the factory makes guitars or end tables or, you know, uh, I don't know, <laughs> something else, screwdrivers, uh, that's a, they just make things. So, and they assign the jobs accordingly. So that's why I tell you that it's a very shocking thing. That's why I said, that's why we talked about a few months ago about actually owning a guitar made by a luthier versus like I said, there's a thousand of you watching right now. I'd be shocked if more than maybe 20 of you, maybe to be nice, 50, if more than 50 of actually own a guitar built by a luthier. Like one person built your guitar. It is a very rare thing. We think of it that way because there's names on our headstocks, but like Paul Reed Smith did not make your guitar, <laughs> right? Orville Gibson did not make your guitar. Leo Fender, obviously they passed away Leo as well, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, it's very rare that you're going to own a guitar where the headstock name of the person on the headstock is the person that made your guitar. That's why it's important. Like, uh, there's, there's, and there are companies out there, there's small shops that are great that are doing it. But when you talk to factories, 
it's not. Yeah, Richard said Leo Fender didn't play guitar. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely, he did not play guitar till uh, never. So. Carl. Oh, sorry. What, what oh, you know what? Where's it at? I want to do one. Uh, it's, it's time to go, but there's one I want to grab besides. Hold on. I thought I saw a cool question and now I can't find it <laughs> as, as that happens. Well, I guess you'll all just be in. Oh, um, um, all right, we'll go to the other one since I can't find it. The other one is, Meester, he says, ever tune? <laughs> Question mark. In other words, yes, Meester, we'll have an ever tune on the, on the channel. Um, that video, I don't know. Like I said, I have given up on, on, uh, on telling people when videos are, are going to happen. <laughs> they, trust me, I, I'm making, I make videos as much as I can, when I can, as often as I can. Um, but you know, stuff happens. <laughs> it's just, I feel like I'm, as soon as I talk about something, it gets plagued. Like all of a sudden I can't do it or something, you know, puts it out of the, the way. Um, sometimes like I, I go to finish editing a video and it's going to be done and then something happens. Uh, so I don't want to promise. All right. Yeah, Scott says, I never knew that about Leo Fender, that he didn't play guitar. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I always tell people, I always remind people, remember Leo Fender, uh, when he did the the uh, Fender Rhodes, it's basically the first electric keyboard, basically. Like, he he's not, you know, right? He's known for, he, you know, invented the electric bass, kind of like, you know what I mean? It's always, I always hate this stuff because it always means controversial because you always get that person like, well, technically, Tom Bogarty <laughs> invented the bass five minutes earlier and it's little known. You know, but you get the idea. Leo, uh, his uh, tributes to the musical industry are huge, but most of the most impactful ones weren't even the electric guitar so much as, you know, that was just the volume of sales so much as the inventions. But yeah. So. Hold on, let's see. Hold on a second. Yeah, I'm just catching you. Uh, Er Webster and Sean are kind of going back and forth, and there's no question in this. But I'm curious about the. You guys are basically talking about uh, the the parts, the casters, and you know doing parts. Um, remember, Leo's original idea wasn't just that you can mass produce the electric guitar; is that he could save us all money, right, uh, from the luthiers, right, because. Repair tech is a weird term. It's uh, repair techs didn't exist so much as there was just luthiers. There was people who made your guitars, and so you would go, you would you would go to a luthier who made guitars to have them fix your guitar, right? And they would charge you to fix it, of course, and it would be a lot, probably comparatively speaking, more than it is today because now there's not somebody like uh, out there going, okay, I just I just fix them, right? So, so the point of this is is that. 
that's important is is Leo's like I'm gonna outsmart everybody. Like who needs a refret? Who needs a stuff? You know, when your when your fret when your neck runs out uh, wears out, you'll just get a new neck and put it on the body. Like you'll swap parts. And uh, the funny part about that was that's what the intention was to do. And then slowly Fender, the company, not Leo Fender, they stopped selling the parts. They refused to do it. <laughs> <laughs> they do it now again, but uh, I've said this many times over. This is, uh, and we'll end on this note. This is absolute true, absolutely true. And even it, so, when I say that, when I say absolutely true, I mean even if Fender says it's not true, it's true. Fender only started selling their necks again and, and bodies, and you know, right? Because they would always sell the bridges and stuff, but they didn't sell necks and bodies for years. Like, I, like seriously, like a decade strong. Or longer, maybe even two decades, they wouldn't sell any necks or bodies. And they only started when Stratosphere started doing it. Because Stratosphere, what they were doing online, if you don't know who Stratosphere is, there's a company that basically sells Fender parts. They sell all kinds of parts, but they mostly sell Fender parts. And what they do is they buy Fender guitars and they cannibalize them. Because it's so damn easy. Why wouldn't you do it? Like, I don't know why no one thought of it besides them. They would just, they buy a Jeff Beck Strat, take the neck off the body off and sell all the parts on, on their website. And of course on eBay and reverb. And, uh, so if you ever need like a fender neck off a weird thing, like if you need a Tom Morello neck, there's one literally probably on reverb right now from stratosphere, you can get the Tom Morello neck and stick it on whatever body you want. And they started just cannibalizing the guitars. And, uh, I remember for years, cause we were a dealer and they knew I was, you know, into the internet, into deal, you know, as a dealer, I was savvy. They would ask me, you know, sure. I'm asked a lot of dealers too, but they would ask me like, do you know where Stratosphere is getting all this stuff? Cause they couldn't figure out where Stratosphere was getting the stuff. And there was a lot of theories that Stratosphere was just buying the stuff used and cannibalizing it. And then there was theories that dealers were selling them stuff because, you know, uh, there was big, there was big buy-ins for Fender, right? So, you know, you had to buy in to be a Fender dealer, but also the more you bought in, the better your deal was, like your free freight programs and your, you know, your your discounts. So what happens is, is uh, the theory has been, this is, I don't know for sure, this part I'm telling you is the theory. Theory has been that dealers were like, I'll sell you 50 guitars, you know, to Stratosphere at dealer cost, because even if they sold them straight for what they paid for them, it was... Uh, <laughs> Miss Anthrope says, yep, there's a Morello neck for 500 bucks. Yeah, like I said, you, you, I can tell you right now, Stratosphere uh, does it. And so long story short, the important part of this story is Stratosphere was not only selling the parts, but there was nothing Fender could do to stop it. So Fender basically said, screw it, we're going to start selling necks and bodies again. And uh, that's what started that. And so, Which I love because... Uh, you know, the whole point of the guitars was like when you guys go, hey, should I refret my Mexican Strat or get a new neck? And I'm like, well, you know, Fender is smart. Uh, they're not a dumb company by any means. And they price their necks at just right at the sweet spot where the refret and their neck cost almost the same. But in most cases, I just get the new neck. So Sean Brooks says Fender doesn't like Stratosphere. That is absolutely true. I can tell you right now, they did not, they're not friends. <laughs> uh, so maybe they made up since then. I don't know. But I, that, that, but I can tell you right now that I would imagine. And then again, maybe they got smart recently. It would be great if they finally uh, smartened up and just said, screw it and start selling, uh, selling straight to Stratosphere, right? Who knows? But I know for years, uh, again, I you know, haven't been a dealer since 2017. So, okay, information gets dated and old. Um, but I know for in my dealer agreement, for sure with Fender, it's stated that I was not to disassemble and sell guitars as parts. That's in your dealer agreement. So they would have to revise that agreement to work with Stratosphere for sure. <laughs> right? Because it flat out said, don't do it. So.
So, all right. On that note, I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you guys so much for another great show. Thank you so much for hanging out this Friday. Hopefully, you guys will join me next Friday as well. And uh, what else? That's it. And the rest of the I hope you have a great rest of the April Fool's Day. If you guys want to, if you're bored, I saw on Guitar World's uh, website, they highlighted where all the good uh, April Fool's jokes work. A lot of companies did really funny ones. Strandberg did a funny one about a styrofoam guitar. Marshall one was my favorite because <laughs> it was, like, funny. So, uh, so if you go to Guitar World, I obviously I don't work with them, but you know, I'm just telling you go there and check them out and uh, and get some good laughs. Uh, there was a nice way, so you don't have to like just search the internet for all the April jokes that they put out. You can just uh, uh, just go right to their web their website. All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for your time. Till next Friday or until the next videos come out, you can always watch those too. Uh, thank you for your time and know your gear. <laughs>